Gamer Nation, most of you have no doubt heard the sad news of the passing of a science fiction icon, Leonard Nimoy. The accomplished actor, writer, and director, known most notably for his role as Spock on Star Trek, died this past Friday in his home at the age of 83, after a long battle with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Nimoy's work defined a genre, and in many ways a generation. We at the Order 66 podcast would like to express our heartfelt condolences to Mr. Nimoy's family and friends, and our thoughts and grief are shared by the millions of fans who mourn his passing. Mr. Nimoy... You will be with us, always. A moment of silence for you. This is Dark Mask, and I'm calling just to say that I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Hello, this is Andrew Howell, otherwise known as the Andy Man. And if I may, I'd like to say that I would rather listen to Jar Jar Binks quote the entire dictionary than listen to the Ordy 66 podcast. Hey, everyone. This is uh, Austin Katan, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast because I'm too busy save, working overtime to save up that money for Gamer Nation Con. Hey, this is Lance. Uh, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast because I'm too busy playing. Hi, this is Rikoshi. And I never listened to the Order 66 podcast, because ever since GM Chris introduced me to the joy that is fried pie, I haven't been able to do anything but shovel them in my mouth constantly. Oh, God. Why do we not have this where I come from? <laughs> D20 Radio, where gamers roll. Broadcast live on D20 Radio's Justin TV channel. You're listening to the Order 66 podcast. Brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and MapsOfMastery.com. What is up, Gamer Nation? GM Chris here. For those tuning in for the very first time, you poor pathetic fools. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> Welcome to the Order 66 podcast, the original podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars role-playing. And uh, with me on the mic, the man with the plan, who is feeling the same grief I am this week, um, as we've just shared, but... Uh, the same excitement, hopefully, in the week to come of, of happy times. GM Phil, what's up, homie? Oh, oh thank the frilling maker. This month is over. <laughs> Been a rough what month. What is up, Gamer Nation? GM Phil here. Happy to be in March and happy to have only a couple days away from Gamer Nation Con, baby. Yeah, it is close, man. I know we're going to talk about it more in a bit, but I am oh, yeah. so excited. I can barely, barely speak. Mm. Um as we discussed last episode, Dave is not with us this evening. Sad Panda. Um, consequently, we're not broadcasting in Twitch. We're broadcasting in our old Ustream channel because I don't have the setup configured for Twitch. Sorry. 
Plus, with the buffer and lag we had with Twitch last time, I'm almost questioning using it in the first place. <laughs> Ustream has ads galore, but at least they can see us in a reasonable time frame. True. Um, yeah, anyway, anyway. Um, we'll figure it out, I'm we, sure. We will, we will. We have a, a lengthy show, and I'd kind of like to get right into it. What do you say? I think that's a fabulous idea. <laughs> how, how fabulous? Incredibly! Ooh, is it fantabulous? Uh, it is Rikoshi fabulous. That's uh, see, Rikoshi's in chat right now. It's fried pie fabulous. <laughs> there you go. It's fried pie fabulous. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. Hello there. What have we here? Good news. All right, Rikoshi's in chat. He says, I'm a degree of fabulousness now. <laughs> I have arrived. <laughs> Love it. Love it. All right. Well, speaking of fabulousness, let's get to some announcements, man. What do we got? Uh, we got the feature podcast of the week. This week, we highlight the Save or Die podcast devoted to the original box set rules of D&D. Save or Die recently dropped episode 105, Gazapalooza 2, the Emirates of Yularam. The hosts head to the deserts of the known world as their Gazapalooza continues with their look at Gazetteer 2, the Emirates of Yalaram. They give a staunch review of options, observations, and, as usual, tell it like it is. So be warned. They cover the good, the bad, and the background graphics. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Find this and many more great podcasts over at www.d20radio.com. Uh, excellent. FFG News. Fly Casual is out. Although it's I out. I don't have it yet. I do. It's right there. Oh. It's so pretty. How do you... Okay, you live further east than I do. How do you have it when I don't? Gods, if I know. Uh, maybe it, it might be who uh, who your uh, your FGLS uses as a distributor. I ordered it through Amazon this time around. Ah, uh, that might be why. My, that might be why. It may be that... Because um, this this is one of the things that was delayed due to the dock workers strike in L.A. Yeah. Um, so it may simply just be that it was on a boat, and some of the copies that they that were earmarked for the uh, the, F, the gaming store distributors got out before Amazon got it out, mm. or maybe they decided to send it to the FLGSs first. Rather, you know, FFG said, "Let's get it out to the distributors for the gaming books and the gaming company in the, uh, the gaming stores first, and then we'll get it off to Amazon." Okay, so you have it. How is it, dude? This ranks right up there with Galaxy Guide 6 from West End Games, man. Really? It is It is a solid book of awesome. I can't wait till we have a show about this. There isn't a bad page in the book. Everything is incredibly useful. Some of the decisions they made in, in the structuring of the trees are phenomenal. The ships are to die for. And Chapter 3 is a freaking vein of gold. That's some really high praise, Phil. I can't wait to do our, our episode dive with the devs on this. Damn right. Ooh. Well, damn it, right. It, it, it's it's going to it's going to be uh, it's going to be a bit though because uh, we have a busy week coming up. Uh, Gamer Nation Con, which we've been pimping for some time, is just around the corner, March sixth through the eighth. 
where all, all you fine D20 Radio listeners and fans of Gamer Nation Studios as well will be arriving in Plano, Texas for three days of gaming goodness. <laughs> and I am super excited. As am I. As am I. It sounds like I am and I'm planning to uh, be running a heck of a lot of games down there for you folks. Oh, uh, man. I, I got to get in one of your games. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely tickled. I, uh, I need to run for you. I, I have played as with you as the GM for I know. at least four games now. Um, I've only gotten to play this system maybe in two sessions. Well, let's make that a third, sir. I would, I would really like to go beyond the GM and, and actually play and enjoy myself. Let's um, make it a third. I'm bringing down my uh, my Gen Con mod, the big leagues. I've got two sessions of that that filled up really quick. Uh, but when I am down there at the con, I will have another module with me, one that I literally whipped up since the last show, uh, the Guns of Nova Rain. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, sad and pathetic and wonderful, and I think that's awesome. <laughs> uh, yes, with maps exclusively done by Christopher West. Oh, that's phenomenal. As I sat down and went, <clears throat> I need a map for this. Perfect. I need a map for this. Perfect. Yep. Yep. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm going to be running some Star Wars, obviously. But awesome. I, I have I – have, there's two other things I'm really excited to run. The first is an RPG from Jay Little that uh, we're looking to publish. And I want to run some folks through. And that is uh, a Catastrophe with an exclamation point at the end. <laughs> Um, which is, it's very Fiasco-esque, but uh, whereas Fiasco is very much like Coen Brothers film, um, this is very much like Lost or The Poseidon Adventure or think okay. th- more like serialized TV show where each player actually controls a minor cast of characters. And uh, quick, easy, GM-less, it, I just can't wait to do it. The other thing I really can't wait to run, more of a traditional RPG, but a completely non-traditional RPG, is I just got a hold of Lasers and Feelings. I'm sorry, what? Have you heard of lasers and feelings? I've heard of them separately. (laughs) Okay, so... I've heard of lasers and I've heard of feelings. You can Google this. It's a free RPG. It's it's one page long. Okay. Character creation, GMing, the full rules, one page. Um, And uh, Rikoshi ran it actually at at, at Gamer Nation Con last year. Um, I didn't get a chance to play. But I finally got my grubby little hands on it. And basically, it's this incredible homage to the original star trek and uh i just really want to play it so uh, we can probably throw down a quick session in like an hour and i, I just want to do that <laughs> um okay all right i'm 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 down <laughs> like the old star trek yeah that's not on my mind at all right now i'm down now the other thing we'll be doing at gamer nation con that i'm also very excited about that is actually gamer nation studios related is we'll be having a tournament for quintessential the fifth element oh nice um now quintessential uh listeners is a kickstarter project that gamer nation studios uh you know d20 radio's sort of sister company um and, and indie production house is has on kickstarter right now and it is behind um i'm actually i'm, I'm very surprised everyone's surprised we just we just interviewed with uh, uh nerd night just on saturday Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for their for their backet segment, and we were talking with Jr. Honeycutt about it, and he's just like, I, I can't believe this hasn't funded. It's like it's like I can't believe this didn't fund in the first week. Um, so we're you know we've we still got a good twelve days left in the campaign, um, mm-hmm. and so we're we're very very hopeful, but we need your help. Um, head to Kickstarter, do a search for Quintessential, um, or Google Kickstarter Quintessential, and you'll find it. And, and take a look. There is now a free print and play version of the game, as long as you, you provide your own dice and tokens, obviously. 
um, mm-hmm. that's available directly on the Kickstarter page. And we are also running a wicked contest um, if, if, for, for campaign funding. Print the game, take a picture of yourself playing it, and post it up on the Board Game Geek page for the game. That's all we ask. And when the campaign funds, we will hold a raffle drawing uh, for anyone who did that, and you will get a immediately shipped to you for free a collector's edition of the game with glass tokens, complete dice set, velvet bags, in a magnetically sealed wooden box um, signed by the lead developer, Sean Story. So... Very, very cool. Um, we posted on Kickstarter and got smacked down for it because they don't allow that, apparently. <laughs> mm. uh, but it's still going on, on Facebook, and you can find it. Um, so anyway, head to Kickstarter, guys. Check out Quintessential, The Fifth Element. Show it some love. It's a phenomenal game made by a local uh, developer here in, in Dallas. Uh, he's been working on it for years. He's been self-publishing it. We've talked about it before. And this game deserves to be made. So help yeah, us. Uh- Help us help everybody. Share the word, please. Get to the social medias, head to the Facebooks, head to the Twitters, and let's get this thing funded. Um, we will be having a tournament at Gamer Nation Con, most of which will be live cast um, via Twitch. So, wahoo. And if you can't come to Gamer Nation Con, you can at least live vicariously through that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, man. Social medias? Absolutely. Stay in the know by following D20 Radio on the Facebooks for news and podcast info on a daily basis. You can also follow the GMs on Twitter at D20 Radio. We post and tweet the show info and announcements regularly. Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. And speaking of the Twitter, um, I'm feeling some uh, some uh, SWRPG Adventure of the Week, maybe? Yeah? Maybe. Time to check in with our good friends over at SWRPG Adventures and uh, the most informative 140 characters or less on the internet with Star Wars Adventure of the Week. Welcome to Star Wars Adventures of the Week, brought to you by SWRPG Adventures on Twitter. This week, the PCs must go undercover into a creepy asylum, pretending to be nurses, patients, orderlies, or janitors, to meet someone who claims to be possessed by the spirit of a Sith Lord. This has been Star Wars Adventures of the Week, brought to you by SWRPG Adventures. For more adventure ideas in 140 characters or less, be sure to follow SWRPG Adventures on Twitter. And remember, keep adventuring! Okay, I'm sorry. That's that's awfully cool. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. That's that's awesome. <laughs> you get, okay, you guys got to find a way to break into an asylum, uh, maybe as patients, because there's somebody in there who claims to be possessed by a Sith Lord. That is awesome idea. That's a module. That is a module. <laughs> that is a wacky adventure waiting okay. to happen. Of, of the two things that they've, because this is, I think this is like their seventh, I think, for for SWRPG. Yeah, um, I think so. uh, of 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 the ones we've done so far, and and I read the ones he posts every day. That one. And the other one that sticks with me as, like, right module for this now is um, one of the PCs inherits a capital ship, but uh, in order to, like, in, in the will, they have to spend the night on it. <laughs> yes, and yes, then, yes, And then, like, yes. like at midnight, it just jumps to hyperspace going somewhere. Like, that is so module. That's... Dude, as soon as I saw that one, I immediately thought of your, what was it, Dead Space module? No, Dead Man's Dead Hand. Dead Man's Hand. I'm yeah. like, dude, Chris needs to write a module about this. Man, I'm I'm all about it. But that is um, right up your alley. 
it's good stuff. So uh, uh, excellent suggestions, guys. And be sure to uh, be sure to follow SWRPG Adventures on Twitter if you don't already. It is a daily treat. Um, it always gives me a good chuckle or at least a good idea. Mm-hmm. So it's there. Well, speaking of uh, inheriting capital ships, man, we have uh, a very interesting meat of the show. Um, yes, yes, we do. And I got to give credit where it's due here, Gamer Nation. Phil really championed this meat, and uh, I think it was a brilliant choice to do so. And um, I'll, I'll I'll let you dig into it, man. But uh, do do you want to you want to cut into the meat of this uh, thick and juicy steak? Absolutely. Um, what are we calling today's show, or at least this section of it? Um, capital interest. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> So what do we got, man? Well, we got this. Star Wars has always highlighted the prominence of starships in the galaxy. From the nimble X-Wing fighter and TIE fighter to the dread-inducing size of a Super Star Destroyer. Starships are everywhere. Previously, we've discussed the mechanics and tips for using one-man fighters and small freighters on this show. But where do the big boys fit in? (laughs) We've received a few requests over the past year to do a show talking about using capital ships in our games. And with the impending release of Armada, now is a great time to use some of those engagements as inspiration for our role-playing games. When the Imperial fleet drops out of hyperspace and the turbo lasers lock on target, how does a GM use these deadly warships to threaten and challenge his PCs without slaughtering them outright? (laughs) We're going to tell you as we raise shields, bring cannons to bear, and commence firing at this very subject tonight on the Order 66 podcast. Brilliante. So, I, I suppose I, that we should start with just the basics and simply, what is a capital ship? Well, that's a good place to start, man. Um, I mean, you know, for, for a lot of our listeners, this may be old hat, but it is important to note when we talk about a capital ship, we're talking about something very distinct, and it's important to make this separation because... I mean, I think really until Age of Rebellion, core book came out, there was a very clear, in my opinion, Phil, bias that assumes that your PCs are never going to be fighting either with or in a capital ship. Never. Never. Um, but, you know, that's starting to change, and we're, we're seeing that. But So we, we want to make this discussion very clear. For, for the purposes of, of the RPG and t- what we're talking about tonight, a capital ship is any ship with a silhouette of five or higher. So, I mean, what are we talking about, man? I mean, we got Corellian Corvettes, uh, uh, the, the the Wayfarer transports. Yep. Uh, Gonzati Cruisers, Gonzati Lancer Cru- Frigates. Yes. Uh, uh, Interdictors, Mon Cal Cruisers, like the, the, the MC-80 we talked about last episode. Yep. And, of course, every variety of Star Destroyer there is. All of those are capital ships. Yes, this is very true. This is very true. So I guess, man, like when I think about it as a GM and how like the game presents it for me, man, I mean, from the PC's perspective, how do we expect the party to to use a capital ship? Because we had that crazy question last episode where, you know, one, one GM's party due to their, their contribution rank got an MC-80. And, yeah. you know, we gave some good advice about how they could possibly use that. But I mean, what, what are we... How how can, how can the party be reasonably expected to use a capital ship, and what should the GM consider using it for from a realistic and good game standpoint? Well, we took a lot uh, took a look at 
the most common uses for these ships. And really, it boils down to one of three ways. Okay. Um, base of operations, terrain feature, or direct conflict. Okay. So let's start with the first one, base of operations. More often than not, your capital ship is simply going to be your backdrop. It's going to be your Enterprise, your space battleship Yamato. It's going to be your, your, your Farscape vessel or your, your you know, you know, anything where your, your story takes place with your ship as background and mm-hmm. backdrop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So more often than not, you're going to see this in an Age of Rebellion game, especially if you're playing any sort of strike team that uses a starship as a mobile base of operations. Um, medium and large capital ships make for excellent, flavorful bases of operation for your PC party. Just because of what they are and the size that they have, the size of the ship, they have this high amount of crew, which provides a wide variety of NPCs for you and your people to interact with, and for GMs to complicate their PCs' lives with. To be frank, <laughs> this is very true. Um, it allows the GM to move the setting at will in orbit over an ice world one week, flying through the upper spires of an urban city world the next, and through the debris of a ringed planet the week after that. So your backdrop can change, but you've still got this familiar area and, and place of, of your res- uh, to consolidate your resources. Now, Phil, I, I, talk to me about like, when, I, when, you, when you talk about this and you say you know, this, this base of operations, it's more than just a place to heal up and a taxi to get you from planet to planet if you're going to do it right. I mean, how do, how do, how do character I, – I say, I say background resources play into this, man. I mean, obligation, duty – I mean, how do these things roll into a base of operations like a capital ship? Very easily. Um, obli- well, as I've mentioned, you've got this, um, you've got this base that is moving around with you, so you're almost always going to have any sort of interactions that you've got going on reflecting there. So if you have an obligation to someone else on the ship, if you just happen to have that kind of um, character mechanic working for you, your obligation might always be there. Maybe your family is on board the ship, and th- so there's the source of your family obligation. Or maybe you have some sort of agreement with the captain of this vessel, and you're duty-bound to help them out and follow them around. Kind of like an unwilling Han Solo type, mm. where he's like, you know, I-, I owe you, sir, so I'm going to stick around with you, but I'm really not liking this. Uh, same thing with duty. Um, by moving this base of operations, you have this ability to carry forth with your specific duty, be it combat victory, space superiority. Maybe your thing is recruitment and specifically recruiting more people for the ship. Maybe your ship is undermanned and your duty mechanic is allowing you to immediately start working for getting more personnel to fill these missing roles on your ship. Mm. Um, Now, obligation can really be a weapon that the GM can use as far as introducing plot lines because maybe your obligation can, compl- can complicate the ship's ability to, to function. Uh, if a person with a, has an obligation, it may, be, it may demand that the PC steal critical components or other items from the ship to give to another NPC, <laughs> someone outside the ship. Yeah, yeah. Um, it could also, that, that NPC that you have an obligation with might also request that the character work to have that ship come to their system and perform some task that benefits the source of the PC's obligation greatly, but the Rebel Alliance, not so much. For example, um, say that the ship is serving as a distraction to the Empire in a specific system. 
while the player's obligation uses that distraction to commence a large smuggling operation or some kind of heist. Hmm. While the Empire's looking one way, his obligation looks the other. You know, even the more traditional obligations, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if you you have a bounty on your head or your criminal obligation or something to that effect, it, it could indirectly lead to problems with the ship i mean you know uh the, the ship gets tagged by a band of pirates because they're tracking you okay yep. uh the you know the, the bounty hunter uh who's following you puts an explosive device on the ship's hyperdrive okay right. and and it drops out of hyperspace in the middle of nowhere i mean those are concrete obligations that have nothing to do with the ship but they end up you know if that obligation triggers it ends up impacting the ship for that play and and it kind of brings it into a focal point there you know Right, and there's even you know not to say that Edge of the Edge of the Empire is the only source of such conflicts like that. I mean, there's a mechanic that works into that as well with Age of Rebellion, and that's the commitment rank. Mm-hmm. Um, because if your PCs are increasing their commitment, like Strong Arms Group was, you know, they got control of a warship because of a high commitment rank. Well, that commitment rank isn't only just your fame and and notoriety with the Alliance; it's also your infamy with the Empire. And the higher your commitment rank, the more effort the Empire is going to use to send your ship crashing down into some gravity well or, or surround it and destroy it, uh, you know, it, it, simply even as a propaganda piece. I mean, look at the Bismarck, the, the, the German warship. That yep. thing was hunted down by fleets. Yeah. I mean, just because of what it was. Exactly. Um, we took I... out this named famous vessel. You know, and and there's you know we mentioned it before in relation to uh, space battleship Yamato, but the original warship, the Yamato, yeah, the the ally, the the allies just took every every effort they did to to take that ship out because it was the flagship. Yeah, and it 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 means a lot. Um, you know, we uh, <laughs> you know uh, throwing back to kind of our our uh, our sad news at the start of this episode. I mean. The Enterprise, when you look at the, especially the later incarnations of Trek, um, I mean, it's the flagship. And I mean, I was watching. I mean, I've been I've been Netflixing. I go to sleep Netflixing um, Next Generation now. Okay, it, it. My wife and I, we put it on the iPad and we both fall asleep to it. Okay, <laughs> every night. And and it was one of those things. We were watching an episode where uh, the, they they it was the, there are four lights. You know that episode. <laughs> um, and, and you know the whole point was that they had drawn the Enterprise, the flagship there, and everyone knew who the Enterprise was, right? Because it was the flagship, and it was it was a big deal, um, and yep. that, that that matters. Um, so these are good suggestions. Now you you brought up a second use, uh, which really hits close to home for me because I'll be quite frank, it's mostly how I, uh, to this point, have almost always run capital ships, right? Uh, in in no campaign or adventure have I run yet have my players really spent any real solid time in control of or crewing a capital ship. More right. often or not, when I bring them into my games to this point, um, and after our talk and prepping for this episode, I kept saying to myself, "Damn it, I need to change that." You know, uh, I usually run it as I think many. GMs do it as sort of backdrop or kind of a terrain feature almost, you know? Yeah. That's I mean, basically what we've been told to use them as for uh, yeah. like decades now. Uh, for decades now. I mean, even even in, in Saga, that was how it was done, you know, back in the D20 days. Um, and this is the most common way, guys, of having your PCs involved in a capital ship battle, all right? This, yeah. you know, when you're, when you're in space combat and, and you want to bring capital ships into it, this sort of warship to warship engagement happening as this backdrop, backdrop to what the PCs are there to accomplish while they're in their, their pocket freighter or their snub fighters. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, pa- you know, 
And again, as I said, past versions of this game, like Saga Edition from the D20 days and OCR, RCR prior to that, um, they hinted at using that method predominantly. And in 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 these scenarios, capital ships, uh, and you can use them just fine in, in this game, uh, they become stellar phenomenon. And that's really outlined very clearly on page uh, 254 of the Age of, the Age of Rebellion rulebook. It's also in Edge of the Empire. Um, yep. Refer specifically, guys, to table 7-8, uh, Navigation Hazard Setback Dice, and think about the number of ships that are in that engagement if you're going to do this. Depending on the number of ships in the engagement, PCs could be flying through terrain that imposes no setback dice, some setback dice, or a lot of setback dice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, rolling, it's kind of lined out there, but rolling three or more threat or despair could be used to have the ship struck by a stray laser bolt, uh, suffering a single hit from one of the ship's guns, Um, you know, as, as a way for that that capital ship to to indirectly as a terrain feature but still being a threat impact those smaller ships and there's right. nothing wrong with running it that way as uh, we said it, it's pretty much been the way that we've been instructed to mm-hmm. um and now as a gm you want to have an idea as to how the battle is going to play out um plan for several ways that the pcs can affect the battle for good and for bad I mean, if the PCs are flying through this battle with a key objective, like boarding a Praetor-class Star Destroyer and sabotaging its hypermatter reactor, have that be the swing point of the battle. Obviously, yeah. if the PCs can take out the Praetor from the inside, they don't. its, it's bevy of cannons are not going to be pounding away at your allied fleet. Oh. Um, and even during the battle, make, maybe have the PCs spend some triumph on rolls they make to knock out some of the enemy warships' targeting arrays or weapons, which allow ships on their side an opportunity to stay in the fight. Absolutely. You know, I, I think, too, I, I'm, I'm loath to bring up the prequels, um, but if I'm yeah. going to bring them up, I'll bring up episode three because it was the best. Sure. Um, you know, Revenge of the Sith has a perfect example of using a capital ship battle as backdrop. And, Absolutely. And it, it happened immediately, right? I oh mean, yeah, I right mean, off the bat. Right off the bat. Immediately. Once once words in space disappear, boom. Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Oddballs. It was Oddball Squadron, wasn't it? It was. Um, they were trying to get to the invisible hand, uh, and they get attacked by enemy fighters. And it just happens to be that this engagement occurs during this massive capital ship battle over Coruscant. Massive battle. Um you know, moving from where they started to the invisible hand takes time, and their their progress was delayed by enemy attacks. You know, they were likely moving at a speed of three or even four um, to utilize you know evasive maneuvers, gaining advantage, which would have made their checks to fly through the space battle very difficult. Oh yeah, I um, mean, what do you think, man? Hard, daunting? Uh, well, based on the rules for sp- uh, stellar phenomena, uh, they're going at speed three. That's an autom- uh, You know, that's automatically three yeah. dice. Speed four is four dice. Um, size level three vehicles cut in half, rounded up. That's two. So we're talking hard and daunting checks with two upgrades due to the size of their interceptor fighters. Now, this is where piloting really comes into play. And, you know, mm-hmm. the episode that I was absent for when we talked about stellar, you, you talked about stellar combat. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, you, you, you had, you had the experts on <laughs> that we did. Um, you know, this is one of the things that, that really people forget about. They treat space as this empty canvas and it's not. No. I mean, you know, anyone can get behind the, the stick and pilot a ship, but really good pilots need to make those checks to move through that difficult terrain. And yeah, exactly. I've worked this into a couple modules I've published so far, uh, one of which is almost published, and you just got a chance to play, sir. Um, and and uh, I think I think I had you I had you in one of my one of my games for uh, um, my, my my mix module. 
um, didn't I? With with the, with the, with all three of the book characters in it. I don't think so. No. Have you not? Have I not had you in a play session for that yet? Oh no, no, have not. You're joking. No, last thing I played was Dead Man's Hand. You're, you're, you've not. You've not. Last play, thing I played was Dead Man's Hand. You haven't played Ghosts of Memory yet. I have not played Ghosts of Memory. Okay. Well, frazzle. Okay. Yeah. Well. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, I don't want to give away much of that module, but there is no. there is a starship combat that takes place inside of an asteroid field, and the exact same rules apply. Sure, and yeah, uh, it's 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 right there. Um, you know, yeah. Now the neat thing about the the space battle between you know at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith is the nature of the battle. You can sort of have the have different stages of it, have different setback dice. Because the the chart talks about you know depending on how much clutter there is or how much volume of whatever hazard it is in that area the pilots are flying through, you can have one, two, or even three setback dice. Um, that battle would at least be a one setback die at all times, and I would even occasionally have two setback dice because they were definitely flying between ships that were firing at each other. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, if you really want to be mean, three would not be unreasonable, but it would certainly be difficult. But yeah, if you, if they have to fly between two ships in an active broadside engagement against each other, yeah. that's at least a two. Yeah, I would kind of agree with that too. And Anakin had probably no trouble with this at all. He's that he's legendary as a pilot. He's yeah. he's stated that he's a hotshot pilot. Obi Wan probably struggled, and he did. He fell. Be- he fell behind. He got. Yep. He, he got. He got. In, in, in that instance. Um, I mean, in that particular instance, it's almost like the threat and and perhaps despair that Obi Wan rolled on his checks, um, yep. or, the, or the flat failure. The 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 um, the result of that was buzz droids. Oh yeah, you know, um, it was, I mean, it wasn't a collision; it was buzz droids. And, and, and <laughs> congratulations, he, and, buzz droids! And he had to deal with that. I mean, and that's that's entirely reasonable. So okay, so we talked about you know bringing capital ships into your pc's group as as sort of a backdrop or a home base we've talked about having space combat and using capital ships as a gm for you know sort of terrain for lack of a better term you know sure you mentioned a third one man i did this is direct combat or engagement so now, i, I want to be clear on this you're talking about actually fighting with or fighting in a capital ship that I am. Okay. And really what spurned this was I actually read a post over on the FFG boards about how a GM's party didn't fear Star Destroyers because they can't hit the PC's freighter. What? <laughs> uh, the general consensus was you're not using the Imperial Star Destroyer right then. <laughs> I mean, good night. Yeah. And and after some discussion, the the GM looked at it and went, "Oh yeah, no, I've been using it way wrong." So here's how you use these large warships directly against your PCs and put some of the fear back into them, if need be. Uh, for the time being, let's assume that we're talking about using these ships from a GM's perspective, either as opposition or support towards PCs in much smaller craft. Okay, so PCs still in snub fighters or freighters. Yep. Okay, for for right now. Okay, for right now. Um, first thing is, is simply initiative. Now, we recommend that you keep your initiative slots as simple as possible. You're talking about ships with thousands and thousands of people on board. You're not going to be rolling for every one or every five or every ten or even every hundred. That would just be mind-boggling. So, 
we recommend that pilot and technical crew roll as one initiative slot and act as one initiative slot. Mm. And gunners, now they're a little bit different in all entirely. Some ships have a lot of guns. Yeah. Um, you could roll for each specific entry, but that still would be excessive. Yes, it would. One of the things I recommend is one initiative roll for either every two weapon listings or one initiative roll for each weapon bank or weapon type. Mm-hmm. And by what I mean is is that if you look at like an Imperial Star Destroyer, you'll see heavy turbo laser batteries listed on port and starboard. And then there's another listing for more heavy turbo laser batteries listed on the dorsal. That would be one weapon type. So you have one initiative slot for the heavy turbo lasers, no matter how many listings or how many how many things they've got. That, regardless of facings. I mean, like so, Regardless of facings. So, that's, so one option is all the heavy turbo lasers go at one initiative slot. Right. Okay. All the medium ion cannons. Okay. All the light turbo lasers, <clears throat> you know, that sort of thing. In either case, more than three gunner initiative slots will likely slow down combat. Yeah. You may want to have more slots to fire more weapons. Keep that in mind, that more than three gunnery slots, probably going to slow down combat. Yeah, that, that's, that's that balance as a GM. I, I, really, I really have to, to, to side with Phil on this. I, I will tell you guys from personal experience, and you experienced GMs out there will know this. I would say if you have more than three to four NPC initiative slots in the entire encounter, you are unnecessarily slowing down combat. Yep. I know people that will argue that three is the upper limit. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, don't, I don't disagree. Because at that point, you got a party of six. Man, that's nine actions. Nine mm-hmm. before a new round starts. That's a long round. It's a very long round. So uh, just keep that in mind. And, and I think that's th- that, that truth is where Phil's wisdom really comes through with this. So taking actions. Silhouette 5 vehicles represent a cusp in the vehicle combat rules. I mean, we've got some maneuvers and actions that require the ship to be silhouette 4 or smaller. Mm. Silhouette 5 vehicles, the following options are not available. No evasive maneuvers, no stay on target, no punch it, no gain the advantage. Mm. So that really chops down what your ship is going to be able to do, and it simplifies things, and that's a good thing. Uh, One particular set of actions requires the ship to be Silhouette 5 or bigger, (laughs) and that's the barrage attacks. Blanket, concentrated, and overwhelming. We'll go over those shortly. Yes, we will. Now... Again, ships, thousands and thousands of people on them. Mm-hmm. They're minions. Yeah. Minions, minions, minions everywhere. Everywhere the minions. In almost every situation, the vast number of crewmen on board are minion level. Only department leaders and officers will be rivals or nemesis level opponents. Yeah. Um, and the books give us some very solid stats for you to use as the base stats for who's manning the guns, who's piloting the ship, who's fixing the ship. Um, page 418, Age of Rebellion rulebook, the Imperial Gunnery Corps. Agility 2, group skill gunnery, perfect. Yep, yep, you don't, you don't need more than that. Nope. Naval Engineer, page 420, Intellect 3, group skill, computers, mechanics. Mm-hmm. Perfect for bridge crew manning sensors, perfect for technical crew fixing strain and even hull. Yep. TIE Pilot, page 423. Perfect for warship crewmen tasked with moving the capital ship. Hmm. Got Agility 3, and they have the group skill piloting space. That's all you need. Technically, they'd be better gunners than the IGs, 
but in this case, ignore the Thai pilots listing for gunnery. We're looking for best fit here. Yeah, and it also is also worth noting these stats are obviously for imps. Okay. Yep. But these just re- it doesn't doesn't matter that the, mm-hmm. these same skills reskin them whether this whether this, they're they're crewing uh, a, a, a star destroyer or whether they're crewing an MC eighty. Okay. Um, yes. Uh, it, it, it doesn't matter. These stats are solid for those roles in a standard minion esque capital ship crew, no matter who they're fighting for. Or even as a hut fleet crew. Yeah, Lords of Nalhutta gave us that uh, Kajalik that <clears throat> is, uh, I'm sorry, the Kajidic that it has managed the Imperial, the uh, the Hutties fleet assets. Mm-hmm, These mm-hmm. stats are perfect for them too. Yep. So for taking actions, for pilots, a good rule of thumb is that the actual number of minions flying the ship is two to five. Three is a good mid-range for a capital ship piloting crew. It allows you to have two upgrades for your piloting skill checks. Mm-hmm. Three, uh, two yellows and a green, perfect for skill. Perfect. Uh, technicians, use teams of four. When making checks, it's not like this one team of four guys on an Imperial Star Destroyer is making all these repairs. <laughs> the role is representing the efforts of multiple teams trying to repair systems across the ship. And from what I've, you know, from what I've seen, uh, it's usually a team of four guys that are working together on any project. On the, like, you watch Battlestar Galactica, you watch um, any of the any Star Trek shows. It's usually a team of four guys on these big ships. Typically, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, for gunners, two to five is perfect size for a minion group. The thing is, how many different groups are there going to be? Um, Look at the ship's weapon entries. Many will already be divided into no, into a number between two and five in a particular firing arc. Mm-hmm. If you have more than five, just simply divide the number into groups of five or smaller. So, you know, if you've got four specific guns on a ship, it's one group of four. You have six, use two groups of three. Ten, two groups of five. Twelve, three groups of four. Now, if a ship is some oddball number, like 7 or 11, I, I haven't found any that are, but if they ever make them, um, divide it as close as you can. Have a group of 3 and a group of 4. If, you, if, if there are 7 different guns or uh, 4, 4, and 3, if there are 11 different guns. Alternately, you can find the writer responsible and kick them in the shins until they rewrite the stats for a more divisible <laughs> number. Um, so... Now you've got your minion groups. Everything's all divided up. You've got your pilots, your minion group, technician minion group, gunnery minion groups. Now I said that the pilots and technicians will act on the same initiative slot, and here's why. Make one action and one maneuver for the piloting team and tech crew as one initiative slot. This is yeah. because when you're talking about these capital ships, a capital ship can only benefit from a pilot-only action or maneuver once. Yeah. So... And if you're just a pilot, it's not like you're a pilot of a freighter where you've got you may have some cannons that you can shoot by being the pilot. The pilots of the war of the capital ships are driving. Yeah, that's, that's the, all. That's all they do. And since one pilot only maneuver is accelerate or decelerate, and the other pilot only maneuver is fly or drive, the ship is only ever going to be accelerating or flying either round. Yeah, it's either going to be speeding up. Or it's going to be moving. That's yep. all it's going to do. Um, I mean, sure, you could have an angle deflector shields. Oh, great. I'll move one slot from uh, aft to port or whatnot. There's another maneuver. So you can easily do that too. Um, possible actions are also diminished by these slow-moving space behemoths. Um, they either have damage control, which isn't a pilot action. It's an engineering action. 
A team of four engineers, they're going to be pretty good at this. They can fix hull trauma once per encounter, or they can fix system strain every round. Uh, additional ship and vehicle actions are possible, but I want to recommend that if you're going to use any of the additional ship and vehicle actions, make it only if the crew is supposed to be a veteran crew. Yeah, like um, super, super badass people. Right, like the crew of the Home One, the crew of the Executor, yeah. the crew of the Devastator. And when you, we talk about these special actions, you're talking about things like you know jamming, co-piloting, boost, right. boost shields, all the stuff on that crazy table. Exactly. Plotting course, slicing enemy systems. Those are pretty much the only ones I'd, I would say uh, that you would use. Any of the other ones on that list, they're really more specific to fighters. I don't really see you spoofing missiles when you're driving something that's a kilometer long. Yeah, no, I, nor do you really need to. I Speaking of driving, it's also worth noting, because um, you talk about having those, you know, the, the, the rough pilots. You guys, don't forget, people always forget this, and it, it, it never, it doesn't impact the game as much in freighters and snub fighters because the penalties aren't that huge. Mm-hmm. Don't forget your ship's handling. No, don't. Do not, not. Not every capital ship is a slow beast. There's some of them that only have like minus one for their handling, or and there's one there's like one or two that even have a zero handling. Okay. Yeah. But but very I mean, nimble. but but in, but an imp star, it's good thing it's like a minus three. Okay. Yup. All right. I mean that's three <laughs> setback die to any pilot check made. Okay. You, even the you, victory is that bum, is that cumbersome. Yeah. I mean. I mean. And then and it's, it's like when you get into the real battleships, they are rough. I mean, even something sleek and nimble and well designed as an MC eighty has like a minus two. Okay. Yeah. So j- don't forget that. Don't. Yeah. Don't don't forget it. Nope. So, so okay, pilots and technicians in one initiative slot. Right. You're saying okay. Yep. And then for the other ones, initiative slot two and three and four and however many extra you've got, shoot the enemy. <laughs> Gunners. Gunners. Um, and again, we're talking about ships with 60 cannons in some instances. Mm. But what we recommend is if you're going to have three and four or, or even two uh, gunnery minions uh, initiative slots, fire each different type of weapon system once. Even if a ship has 20 heavy turbo lasers, fire only one minions group's worth at the target. Yeah. Now, that's, and there's, they give you a reason why to stagger this fire in the book. Most of these large guns have slow firing one or even two. Ah. As the first set of guns are recharging, a second set opens fire. The idea here is constant sustained damage round to round, not burst damage every two to three rounds. That's not how they fire. You look at old war, uh, World War II and even some World War I battle footage, they're firing Volleys staggered. They're, the idea is curtain fire. Especially if they have incoming fire. Yeah. Yeah. You want a sustained barrage. You know, as guns as guns ready, they fire. Um, regardless of how many different weapon systems a capital ship has, each PC's ship should only be targeted once per turn, unless the story demands otherwise. Uh, getting sh- getting your freighter shot at by more than once per turn by a capital ship weapons, that's overkill. And best reserved as a consequence for the PCs really pissing off the captain of the enemy forces. Well, okay, remember, if you have a fighter that's hit by a capital ship, plus, plus 10 damage. People Goodbye. F- people forget that. it's in. They're, they're, we're talking about it in chat right now. It's in one of the sidebars. Um, if the fighter is silhouette 3 or smaller, 
okay? It is a suicide sled against a capital ship if it gets hit. Now, granted, I mean, when you consider, uh, you know, at a minimum of five versus a three, you're looking at some tough difficulty to hit that, that snub fighter. Oh, yeah. But if it hits it, plus 10 damage, okay? It's, yeah. a, it's in the book. Don't forget. Um, That's just scary. Yeah. <laughs> That's just absolutely scary. Pretty much. Unless you want to get absolutely crazy and spend the destiny point and decide to uh, have a major collision with the uh, uh, the the bridge of the executor. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> in your A-wing. <laughs> yeah, uh, someone was in uh, Swifter on the chat and mentioned, yeah, then it's plus 1,000 damage. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so... The, that's what you want to do when you get to that initiative slot. Um, but what do you do with that when you get there? Um, you get an aim. Yeah, so you get you get a maneuver and you get an action. Yeah. For maneuvers, aim. Yeah, aim, aim, <laughs> aim, and then aim again. Well, no, they can't. I know they're minions, but yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, aim yeah. that round. Aim the next round. Aim the round after that. <laughs> Yes. Absolutely. What else are you going to use your maneuver for? Moving between guns? If you're if readying you're, a weapon? And if you're out of range, aim twice for the following round. There you go. Get in closer. I want to shoot them harder. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. Which leaves your action, which is just simply firing weapons, your basic attack. Um, you know, remember and refer to table 715 on page 249, silhouette comparison. Um, because as we're talking about hitting small snub fighters, it's not two dice; it's five. Yeah, it would depending on how big you are. Yeah, depending on how big you are. Yeah, uh, silhouette seven dreadnought attacking a silhouette four YT thirteen hundred. The dreadnought is bigger than the the YT thirteen hundred by three, increasing the difficulty to daunting yeah. four purple dice. Yep. Uh, a silhouette eight imperial star destroyer attacking a silhouette three B wing. The difference is four or more. That increases the difficulty of the attack on the B wing to formidable. Five purple dice. Yeah. Uh, even a Nebulon B frigate attacking a Victory Star Destroyer, because it works the other way. The Victory Star Destroyer is two silhouette sizes bigger than the Nebulon B frigate, so the attack difficulty is easy. Yep. One purple die. Yep. Now, in the case of the Dreadnought on the YT-1300 and the Star Destroyer on the B-Wing, it doesn't sound likely that it will hit, but if firing in barrages of four or five you're usually rolling two to three yellows plus a green or two, plus a boost die for aiming, plus modifiers from any fire discipline checks other crewmen may have made. If it's a badass ship, yes. If it's a badass ship, yeah. But it, it, the point is, it's possible. Round to round, averaging it out, I mean, in, in my personal experience, over a couple rounds of combat, you're going to get a hit. Yeah. It, 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 it will likely happen. Yes. So, which, which is why, as we say, don't pile it on, you know, Oh, I'm going to fire my heavy turbo lasers at you, at your your freighter, and then I'm going to fire my light turbo lasers at your freighter, and then I'm going to fire my ion cannons at your freighter. No, no that's that, that, that's just being mean. <laughs> it may be warranted in that case. By all means, go for it. But on the average, your imperial commander is not going to look at a light freighter and go, "Oh, fire everything." No, he's going to look at it and go, "Um, yeah, target him with the heavy turbo lasers and blow him from the sky." <laughs> What do you mean you missed? Keep firing. Swift draws in the chat. He says, so the stats are saying the B and B wing means boned. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's fantastic. Especially in the case of the B wing, because you've got to remember if the ship's weapons are called out as point defense weapons, these reduce the effective silhouette of the attacker before seeing what that increased difficulty is to the attack roll. Do you recall what it reduces it by? Um, I want to say it reduces it by reduces it by one. Okay, um, I think I think that's correct as well. Um, 
Uh, I should have had that in the notes. Um, but, I should have. I should have. But but yeah, people. Again, a lot of these ships have point defense weapons. Remember what those do. Think about it. Yep. Um, okay, I want to talk about these barrage attacks because <laughs> because okay, we didn't see these in Edge of the Empire. Okay. No, these were brand new for Age of Rebellion. These were brand new in Age of Rebellion, and this was really sort of the coming out party for capital ship combat. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, it was. It's kind of, it's kind of like we're here and we're gonna kick your butt. Um, so I really, really like the barrage attacks because they give a concrete specialty way to use these banks and banks and banks of weapons. Yep. Um, in in a very deadly capacity or a less deadly capacity. So it gives the GM the ability to make use of this cool tech, um, while at the same time scale something appropriate to the encounter and what the PCs are doing. Right. Um, so the first one we have, uh, I mean, so the, these are, these are all of them, these three that we talked about, there's blanket barrage, there's concentrated barrage, there's overwhelming barrage They're They function very similar to like terrain hazards, like we were talking about, but they right. are just very specifically directed towards PC actions. Um, it's also worth noting, uh, I'm just going to say it now for all three of the barrage attacks, they require a speed. Obviously, as we said, you have to have a five or better size on your silhouette. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they require a speed of only zero to three. Um, now, few cap ships can get past that anyway, but it's just worth noting. Okay, right. Um, also, in every case, they require at least two weapon systems of the same type. Yes, they firing do. into the same arc. Mm-hmm. That's very important because they're barrages. Is what they do. Yep. So, okay, blanket barrages up first. Yes. Average gunnery check. Okay, so two two dice, two purples, mm-hmm. and you fire all weapons of a similar type within one or more firing arcs. Correct. Okay? Um. Now, pay attention here, guys, because some ships do have the same weapons in vastly different firing arcs spread across two different weapon entries. So you really need to take a look at your stat blocks here, okay? Yes. But what this barrage does is it upgrades the incoming attacks against that ship, against that cap ship, um, by silhouette four or smaller vehicles, um, by one plus one per two advantage rolled. So if I if I get if I get a success with a couple advantage, it's going to upgrade the difficulty of any attacks coming in from silhouette four or smaller ships towards me by two at that point. Right. Um. And it, you know, just you know, fantastic if you're getting slammed by again the 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 B wings, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Or, or or a group of Y wings. All right. Exactly. I mean, if you've got twelve X wings coming in, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing, too, is once this barrage is up, there's a chance that the incoming fighters or freighters could be hit by it, okay? Right. So while it's up, if the combat check from the attacking silhouette four or smaller vehicle rolls two threat, they suffer one hit from your, those weapons that deals half base damage from the weapons fired. Um, and if a despair is rolled, full base damage. Correct. Um. Other interesting things about blanket uh, weapons count as slow firing for that round, whether they are or not. Okay, um, so is it so affected by slow firing? Right. Um, there's some passive qualities uh, of the firing cannons do count. So if they have breach, uh, but not linked, that matters. So in other words, if I'm doing this bar- blanket barrage, I can't spend advantage to activate linked because I'm already in essence linking. It's a barrage. That's kind of the point. Right. Um, right. But, exactly. But passive qualities like breach that don't require. Uh, uh, advantage or triumph to activate those still count they still matter as would something like ion yes of course uh, i mean yep. well, i'm trying to think in starship scale 
I mean, what? We got breach. We got ion. We have guide. Well, guided requires advantage to activate. Yeah, guide requires um, and linked requires an advantage. I can't think of anything else that would be a passive quality like that for a capital ship weapon. Yeah, I mean, at this time, it sounds like I mean, I mean, ion and uh, 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 breach. I mean, yeah. tr- a tractor is passive, but why would you do a barrage with tractor beams? Yeah, pretty um, much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's it's kind of there. Well, um, well. Tractor, if they get hit with a, tra- well, no, because it specifically just calls out damage. There's no damage from a tractor beam. Exactly. It's not like you're, you're tra- although a GM could argue that they're just throwing out tractor beams and if anything flies into them, it's kind of like a you know, fly on flypaper, you know? Precisely. That could be kind of interesting, actually. Now, this is really great to use for scenarios where the PCs are in fighters and they're trying to take out a larger ship like an interdictor cruiser. Happens it all the time happens. to the X-Wing Rogue Squadron. All the time, or if they're in a freighter, for that matter, and they're with, maybe maybe with, with the support with a support crew around them, and you know support ships around them, because what this does is it it makes that threat a tougher threat, makes it harder to hit. One, that's very important because it's easy to hit, you know, due to yep. the size differential. But also, if that's what the gunners are focusing on, they're not necessarily shooting at the PCs directly, which means if the PCs take hits, it's going to be usually half damage. Okay, so it's a lot more survivable from a capital ship combat encounter um phenomenal thing to hit your your especially your, your newbie pcs with great stuff right what about concentrated barrage man well concentrated barrage uh uses the standard rules for firing weapons as above so not the you know it's not an average gunnery check it's it's you know you compare your ship size to the size of your target because this in this case you're using a volley fire against a single point on your enemy ship mm. uh um so you're using all your weapons of a single type in a single firing arc. Obviously, as we said, you must have at least two weapons, uh, and you make your attack roll. If successful, you may spend one advantage once to add damage equal to the number of weapons involved in, in the attack to one hit of the attack. So if I do this with six cannons, mm-hmm. I can spend one advantage to add plus six to the damage. Yep. That's... One. Pretty sweet. One advantage. One advantage. Now, there is some restrictions on this, though. There are. There are. Uh, it can only be used against target ships with silhouette 5 or higher. So you have to use this against... You can't use this against uh, PCs in silhouette 4 ships or X-Wing fighters or, or freighters or anything like that. Okay. okay. Uh, it is best used if recording the damage of cap ship to cap ship combat is important to the story. Because mm. this is a really great way to f- quickly deal with, okay... Star Destroyer over here has 20 heavy turbolaser batteries able to fire into the forward port, into, into the forward arc, while the Mon Calamari Liberty Cruiser has 12 batteries able to fire into whatever arc it has facing that way. It's a great way to just deal with 20 guns, 12 guns, 20 guns, 12 guns, that sort of thing. You know, the other thing I, I see this coming into strong play for is, you know, there are some very concrete rules in Starship combat that a lot of players forget about, which is that you can target specific systems through aiming. Yep. You know, aiming doesn't have to just give you a boost die. The same nope. way the same way in personal combat, I can aim once and take two setback dice to target a specific area on, on a foe's body or a piece of equipment they're holding. 
I can, you know, or I can aim twice to only have one setback die to do that. I can do the same thing in ship combat, except it targets a specific area of the ship. So engines, engines okay, shields, shields, boarding action. Can you say boarding action, boys and girls? If my mm-hmm. goal is not to destroy that enemy uh, uh, cap ship, but to actually board it and sort of slow it down, or 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 make it dead in the water, or disable it to the point that it can be easily boarded, or at least soften it up for 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 my my snub fighter allies. You know what I mean? To to, oh, yeah. to, to, to kind of make to make an attack run at it so that aiming action to target those specific systems combined with concentrated barrage ensures that you're going to be doing just a crap ton of damage to that specific area exactly um and and that's that's that is that is commodore-esque starship tactics right there absolutely absolutely so and so that's concentrated barrage it brings us to the last one overwhelming barrage Ooh. now what does this one do so overwhelming barrage so so blanket barrage is like is like defense defense right <laughs> yeah concentrated barrage is that is is basically giving the ball to your star running back and letting him plow through the defensive line to get at least a good 30 yard run okay hit that point just get there okay Overwhelming barrage is it, it, it's it's almost oh god it, it's almost like um it's almost like a fake pass to the running back yep um uh, you know then that leads into a hail mary it, it is it is all gunners firing gunners firing all their weapons into a very specific large area to strike the target ship but also every adjoining vehicle around it so it's 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 very um it's you know grenade like right. But but it, it, this is designed to be used against formations, okay? Guns! I have lots of guns! Let me share them with you and all of your friends! <laughs> exactly, exactly. So formations like a squadron of PCs approaching a larger ship at long or medium range, okay, when you've got multiple ships flying together in formation, this is when you want to use overwhelming barrage if you really want it to, to, to spank them. Mm-hmm. You make a combat check as normal, firing all we- all weapons of a single type within a single firing arc. And again, you, of course, you got to have at least two weapons of that type in that arc to perform the action. Now, if it succeeds, the attack, you can spend, again, one advantage, just one, to deal one additional hit to one vehicle that is at short range from the original target. That's a long ways away when you think about starship combat. It, it is, and but again, you have this bank of weapons. Your silhouette five, okay? It's yep. It's 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 there. Um, plus one ad- one additional vehicle gets hit for that one advantage for every ten weapons involved in the attack. Right. So if you have ten weapons and you roll an advantage, that's three ships that you are hitting. Okay. You got twenty weapons, four ships for all for one advantage. Okay. Um, the hit itself can actually be triggered multiple times, um, but the target, but, but can't target ships that have already been hit during the action. Okay. Right. So you can, in other words, you can spend multiple advantage. Um, and that's, that's, that's huge. Um, I mean, you could conceivably take out, if you roll well enough, an entire flotilla or at least do damage to them. Exactly. um, damage is normal base damage plus one per net success. So no, no additional damage. It's just, you know, all your damage in one spot. And and look at something like an Imperial Star Destroyer, where it says it has twenty port and I'm uh, sorry, ten port and ten starboard heavy turbo laser batteries, both of which fire into the forward arc, along with ten dorsal heavy turbo laser batteries, which fire into the forward arc. Mm-hmm. So 
when you say it fires all, and that's the thing about these barrages. When they say fires all weapons, you fire all weapons. All. All. Yeah. And so overwhelming barrage, all 30 turbo lasers into the forward arc. They're going to be recharging for two rounds, but this is one of those situations where you do, where, where these guns do do that sort of burst damage that I talked about. Yeah, the, the advice you were giving earlier about, about staggering your shots, you know? So you, yep. you do a salvo with one small bank, and while those are recharging, you do another salvo so you're able to fire every round. Yep. Th- this, is, this is not that. Th- th- you are intentionally choosing not to do that by making a barrage. This is, this is two Age of Sail ships broadsiding each other in full, you know what I mean? This is a full broadside, okay? Exactly. One, one of these barrages. So thirty shots. That means for one advantage, for one advantage, you're hitting three ships. Your attack succeeds. You spend one advantage to deal one additional hit to one vehicle. So not only are you hitting that attack succeeds, you hit that center vehicle. One advantage. I hit three other vehicles because I'm using thirty guns. Exactly. Oh, I rolled two advantage. Awesome. I hit six other vehicles. Yeah, it's additional vehicles. Yeah. Additional uh, vehicles, uh, and it doesn't differentiate size, folks. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, that fighter's gone. That fighter's gone. That fighter's gone. That transport's gone. You know, or or takes a ten point hit with breach four. You know, this is the scariest of the barrages to me. This is the one that really shows the might of what a true Impstar or other massive capital ship can do with the kind of salvos and just barrage fire that it can unleash. Why does it have that many guns? This is why. If you're dumb enough to have your entire fleet jump out of hyperspace in one location and it's an ambush and we know you're there, I mean, I mean that's that's what it's there for. Exactly. That's it. So, that- Phil, you talked about... so. Everything we just talked about is really gunner action, okay, mm-hmm. when you get down to it. We talked about the gunners. We talked about the pilots and the engineers, okay? Yep. What is the commander doing in all, in all this? Good question. Um, in most cases, these they're simply directing the enemy ship's actions. Um, but if the you know they're 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 basically taking on your role, you're you're effectively the commander. You're instructing. All right, I want you guys to do that. I want you to move there and get some fire te- get get some tech teams down to fix that hull breach. Um, but if you if the GM wants to have the PCs go up against a really tough opponent, roll one extra initiative slot or just have one one of your initiative slots devoted to the enemy commander or command staff. Now, these guys are rivals and nemesis-level opponents. Mm. Uh, some of the good ones in the books are the Imperial Moff, page 417, uh, and the Imperial Naval Officer on page 403 of Edge of the Empire. It's weird that the Naval Officer <laughs> isn't in AOR. Yeah, yeah, it is odd. It's range. Um, but what the commander can do is they can assist just simply granting a boost die to any of those uh, minion group's checks. And uh, uh, narratively speaking, it's him getting on the comm and saying, you know, Lord Vader will be most displeased if you fail to hit this target. Yeah. And these are the guys that can start doing some of those extra actions under additional ship actions, like plotting courses, fire discipline. Fire discipline, fire discipline, fire discipline. Fire, yes. Uh, make a skill check, uh, best used in conjunction, or they can just simply make a skill check. Simply just best used in conjunction with any specific talents or abilities they may have. Yep. Um, you know, like uh, field commander or or whatnot. Um, now, the commander gets all- stabbed artistically by a nogri, <laughs> <laughs> but it was artfully done. It was artfully done. 
So how do we handle PCs in control of these big warships? Okay, okay. So we've 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 talked <laughs> we talked about giving the PCs a warship, but letting them use it as sort of a home base. Yep. We've talked about letting the PCs, uh, you know, uh, go against these ships and 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 how to take them out. And we've talked about how these ships will attack the PCs potentially. And or or if the PCs are, are manning these ships, how they would attack you know smaller ships that they're 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 enemies. What what about PCs in control of these ships? What about ship on ship warship on warship combat? Man, how best to deal with three to six PCs and the hundreds of to thousands of minions under their command? I mean, everything prior to now was done so from this point of view that most likely the mode of interaction between PCs. And enemy capital ships would be flying in a silhouette three or four starship. I mean, what happens if your PCs are in command of a ship that can actually take on another enemy warship? Realistically, they have an MC eighty. Okay, um, you know, I got to admit, I'm kind of interested to give my PCs control of something like a Nebulon B frigate for an encounter and see what they do. So, I mean, let's go back and forth on this one because the, the way the way I the way I kind of see this is it. For me, this is going to work very much like if the PCs were manning stations on a smaller freighter, mm-hmm. just just in in a few different areas. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. I mean, I mean, in many cases, the stations that they are at are supported by a team of crewmen, not just them. So it's like you know, if if I'm on if I'm on a, a YT thirteen hundred and we're in in the heat of starship combat, you might have one PC running around trying to fix the exploding buffer panels that are flying off. You know, you, you know what I'm saying? But and not the, be particularly skilled at it, and not be particularly skilled at it. But at this point, that PC is part of a larger team that, narratively speaking, is is working together to do this, or he's directing that team. You know what I mean? He still makes his check. Right, but his right. his check is representative of his direction of a larger team. That or the crew team is assisting him, and that there he's making the role using his skills. But the crewmen are providing a boost die to his efforts, either directly or indirectly. In that, what I'm trying to do is being done actively by three or four other teams spread across the ship. Hey, there you go. There you go. So, um, you know, I, I, especially if you have a PC that's not skilled in that particular area, that's where I would really push for that boost die scenario. Um, and by all means, if they're not skilled, but the minion group ends up being uh, having a better role than they do, let that PC make that role for that minion group. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't... That makes sense. That's the thing. I mean, I mean like, if, if I run this... I almost want to like make the PC make the role. You're, the PC is oh, yeah. al- al- always making the role, but narratively speaking, it's either your bad bad attitude or it's the crew's bad attitude that you are commanding. Yes, and so yeah, I mean either, either way. Um, attacks. Now there we start getting into a slightly different level. Mm. Um, to simplify matters greatly, especially if you're using these in conjunction with warship to warship combat, um, use barrage attacks when possible. Um, the barrage attacks are are simply just going to not only just give you literally more bang for your buck, but they're going to feel like they're, uh, they're, they're gonna, it's going to help heighten the narrative. Yeah, I uh, agree. concentrated barrage to attack a single enemy ship with all available weapons of a type. Yeah, um, overwhelming barrage if there are multiple enemy ships. I mean, you could fire individual guns, but 
you know, if you've got command of something like a, and this might even be the case where if you've got something command or you're you're attacking not just one warship, but you've got a, got a warship that's dealing with an enemy ship and multiple fighters, you can have one group of PCs literally just saying, okay, I'm going to deal with barrage attacks against the enemy ship. Okay, I'm going to deal with all these other fighters and use overwhelming barrage on them. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's not very complex for a PC to crew a capital ship, okay? It, Actually, I, it isn't. It isn't. People try to make it so complex. Like, what do I do? There's thousands of people. What am I PC? You, you, it's like, chill out. Get get narrative with it. It it should feel the exact same as if they're all crewing a YT-1300 and they get into a space battle. Exactly. It should feel exactly the same. It's just that narratively speaking, they're directing teams of people. They're you know they're not necessarily the one with their hands knee deep in in uh, you know the guts of 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 the Navi computer to try and get it back online or welding a piece of hull plating. They're not necessarily the ones that are behind the stick of of a turret gun. Okay, they're at a tactical display and they're directing people and monitoring damage and calibrating uh, targeting computers and systems and saying you know you. Team Seven, you know, fire now, fire now, and it, it's it's their attack role. Narratively, they're the one doing it. It's just that, I mean, am I making sense? Absolutely. Okay. It doesn't have to be. It, it's not this big complex deal. It works just the same. It just is narratively. It it's hand. It's handling the command of multiple people doing the job instead of you doing the job yourself. Yeah. It's all about scale. It's all about scale, and you don't need to be making influence checks to manage these people you just make your gunnery check or you make your mechanics check or your computers check okay or your pilot check and that check represents your represents the team that you are managing doing its thing if they get advantage they 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 they, they're loyal troops they follow your words to every whim and they perform admirably if you roll threat maybe they're kind of uncertain about your command ability and and it causes setback and stuff like that let the dice tell the story let the the dice tell the story but don't overcomplicate it people try to make it so complicated now i can't let this pc helming a cap cap ship discussion go without talking about my favorite thing to do when pcs are helming a cap ship what's that boarding action <laughs> um listen I think more so than other systems I think it's easier to split the party here. Okay? Oh god, yeah, I split the party just I, just yesterday in my uh my game I was running. Yeah, it it really it really is easier and and the system handles it well as long as you don't get too crazy with it, but I understand that there's, you know, narratively speaking, you can pull a boarding missile out of your behind. You know, and all of a sudden, you know, the ship gets hit and it, 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 there's this crazy sound and there's a hull breach. And all of a sudden, em- enemy troops are pouring under the ship. Okay. Anyone who's played Star Wars The Old Republic, half the flashpoints have these, um, like, drill missile type containers that just suddenly punch through the hull, uh, iris open, and droids and, war- and warriors leap out and attack you. Precisely. And, and you know, it, it's a lot of fun because even as much as the rules give you a really concrete way to to give PCs a role on a ship, something to do, even when they're not typically suited for it, there's interesting and creative things they can always do, right? Yep. This is a way to really utilize those, especially melee combat-focused PCs. Yes. And, and really give them away, aside from, you know, repairing whole trauma once per encounter, that they can really actively contribute. And Really? You 
enemy borders on deck six? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm taking you, 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 come with me. And that, I mean, dude. It's... You just hear a snap hiss of a lightsaber and the Jedi says, I got this. I got this. And disappears down a hallway. I mean, I mean, and that's, that's, it's, so consider that, uh, you know, you can make an entire session out of a cap ship combat. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's relentless and it's nonstop. But the, one of the reasons that you can do this so successfully with cap ship combat is because while the ship may be taking damage from an encounter, unless the rolls go really, really bad, typically sure. the inhabitants of the ship are not. So things that may be a no-no in personal scale combat, like having one encounter directly backed by another encounter, directly backed by another combat encounter, where I don't have a chance to rest, I don't have a chance to heal, those constraints apply less to this sort of mixed boarding action space combat. I mean, we're giving it our all, man. We may be suffering some strain, okay, but we're giving it our all in this cap ship battle. And then all of a sudden, we get boarded. I can run into the freaking fray, and my wound threshold is full, and it's high. So, oh, yeah. I, I'm... Uh, you may be down some strain due to stressful conditions. You know, GM spends some threat to give you some strain because you're getting, uh, like, antsy and worn out by this long engagement. But... Yeah, you're fresh and ready for physical combat. I mean, and so and so because of that, you can construct a session that is really just balls to the wall. I mean, it's like threat after threat after threat after threat with no downtime as long as you know, you know space, boarding action, space, you know, and you've got this three encounter adventure that you run that's really nail biting with no time for rest, but it's still imminently survivable. So yeah, I need to run this type of scenario. <laughs> it's man, it, it it's good to use. So, okay, Philbert, <laughs> everything we've just talked about, I think has provided some really good groundwork, and it should arm the GMs out there with the knowledge of how to use enemy capital ships against and with their PCs. Absolutely, but there is a specialization. That has been uh, highlighted in Age of Rebellion called the Commodore. Mm-hmm. How do they fit in? Well, find out next time. <laughs> when we take a look at Commodores and have our own master and commander engagement. That is right. Hot on the heels of this episode, we will, we will be doing a requested deep dive into the Commodore for a Will Isn't That Special segment where the hosts will not only create our ultimate Commodore builds, but using the tips, tactics, and strategies we've just discussed, we'll pit them against each other in a live ship-to-ship capship combat. (laughs) We'll figure out the details like which ships and all that other stuff in the intervening weeks and perhaps over drinks later this week. (laughs) 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 That's going to be fun. Oh, man. It's going to be very fun. Um, I hope we have given you folks, uh, GMs and PCs alike, uh, a a little glimpse into how best to use capital ships. It's not as difficult as you may think, as hopefully you have seen. Uh, And uh, I heartily encourage you to to utilize these ships as something more than just backdrops. Yeah. Um, And I... There's a lot of fun to be had, and I'm really pleased with the rules that AOR has brought us because it really adds a whole lot of depth to this. So, right. It's good. It's good stuff. Good stuff, Phil. 
Well, thank you, guys. We are going to stop down now for about five minutes for a brand new episode of The Moderator, um, where we return to the ramshackle machine shop of Wacky uh, for another visit with ours and your favorite purveyor of technical wizardry and modifications. And we will see you guys on the other side again in about five minutes. Greetings, and welcome to the workshop. We're glad you could make it. There is much to talk about, from gizmos to gears. We can help you with all of your mods, all thanks to the moderator. Well, it's great to finally be back in the workshop, surrounded by good friends. <laughs> Sorry, surrounded by mediocre friends. <laughs> and back in familiar surroundings. Been a while, so let's start on getting things done. It's time to talk about a subject I've been holding off for a while now. Things of such importance that can affect most anyone in this day and age in the galaxy. And that are droids. Droids can help with the tasks that most are only partially skilled in, becoming very useful equipment in and of themselves. But your average droid has only a limited physical or mental capacity. So by coupling the two, more can be achieved than if the machine did it by itself. What? You know I'm right. Most organics don't build machines to be able to be on par with themselves. Droids are normally weaker or not as bright. Search your feelings. You know this to be true. What this all boils down to is teamwork. More than one individual helps out on a task, you can get something that is greater than the sum of its parts. Purchasing the right kind of droid or droids can be well worth the time and money. Having another assist you in any skill helps, as long as they know what they're doing. When two individuals know how to put their heads together, they can use the innate talent of one coupled with the skill of the other. What this has to do with droids, who normally don't have much in the way of innate talents, are installed with high levels of skill, at least compared to that of your average nerf herder walking the street. So if you take that fella, assuming he knows anything about anything, and have him work with a highly skilled droid, you can produce a great result. This is called synergy. The real downside to this is that droids don't come cheap. If they did, I wouldn't have gone to a shifty Jawa on a backwater planet for my <clears throat> highly functional protocol droid. Oh, hush, 2B3. But together with my basic knowledge of negotiation and higher presence, and his higher skill in negotiation but lower presence, make for a formidable team. Yes, thank you. Now droids come in three styles of processor, which we'll talk about from the most to least powerful. The most powerful in calculating of all droid processors is worth of being the nemesis of any organic brain. These machines are often outfitted with high level skill sets compared to their tasks, but were built to have attributes closely matching them. This makes them expensive and redundant for the synergy we're looking for. After all, if the droid has just as good stat as you, why does the bot need you to get the job done? Please, you're not anyone's nemesis. 2P3's level of processor rivals that of an organic, but doesn't exceed it by any means. But he is equipped with a high level skill set that matches, or at the very least, comes close to his relevant attributes. This makes him a good pairing with someone that has a high innate knowledge, but little real world experience. Or would be good on his own, should the need arise. Yes, you're wonderful. The real potential of droid organic synergy actually lies in the least powerful of the droid processors. These machines are really only good at being minions and have no real talent or aspiration. Ahem. 
Minion-level droid consciousness are designed to work well in tandem with each other. What this means for an organic user is that their skill rating effectively goes up the more of them there are. Couple that with the innate ability of the user and you have an ever-increasing level of proficiency. Seriously. All techs, scholars, and scientists all have been known to have a talent for speaking binary. With this, an individual can order a droid to aid in a task and they'll receive a boost in being assisted. A great little advantage that you normally wouldn't get. It is of course possible to gain all these benefits, yeah, except for the speaking binary, with others who are equally skilled, but not a droid. You can hire individuals, or purchase slaves to do this. Hiring someone gets costly, as you have to keep paying them or they'll look for another job. Purchasing slaves has a higher one-time cost, but has a disadvantage that if you do it, you're scum. Seriously, you are the worst of the worst, and should be shot in the face repeatedly with your own blaster. What were you thinking? He doesn't seem to take a hint, this guy. I was beginning to wonder if you'd got my message. Messages from the Edge Boy, am I glad to hear your voice. I think it would be wise if you took advantage of my knowledge in this instance. Messages from the Edge time. Uh, oh, time like the last time. Oh, yeah. Welcome to Messages from the Edge, boys and girls. This is our regular show segment where we tackle your game and rules questions about the system. And how, Phil, can people get us these questions? I ask thee. I answer thee that the easiest way is to travel to our forums and simply post up your question. Head to www.d20radio.com forums, register, and head to the Order 66 podcast board, where you'll find a Messages from the Edge thread. Post it up there, and we'll get to it as soon as we possibly can. You can also email your question to us at gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com, and of course gmphil at d20radio.com. Also, if you're brave enough, like these people have, you can leave us the question via voicemail on the D20 Radio hotline at 262-D20-RADIO. That's 262-320-7234. And we have a lot of questions lately. A lot of call-ins, yeah. Um, Thank you all. Uh, Tonight, we are going to tackle three call-in questions uh, from Lance, Andrew, and Dake. Uh, but we still actually have a few voicemails still on the back burner. Um, yep. Lance actually called in three, um, one of which we'll discuss tonight, um, and another was also called in by Dunko. Uh, and we'll get those questions answered next episode, so fear not, guys. Your questions have been received, and we will get to them. And uh, folks, keep them coming. Love seeing these, these uh, voicemail questions. Fantastic. Oh, yes. So uh, shall we get to it? I would love to hear the first question. Okay. Well, our first one is a very interesting one um, coming from Lance. Hey, this is Lance again. Um, I recently was stumped by a question that I had that I was just trying to figure it out. That Okay, so you play Force and Destiny, right? You have a Jedi, and he's got Force, and he's got a lightsaber. Yeah, yeah, the whole package. And, okay, the GM says, okay, you could be a uh, Jedi, but... Um, 
you got to know when you have to use the lightsaber, right? Uh, you can't just go around swinging it around in public. You'll get arrested, or you'll get report the empire will be reported of your whereabouts. Um, you can't use the force because then you're a force user. Um, there's these things you can do or able to do, but do you really want to do them? And it's kind of like putting a, I don't know, a handicap on the character because unless you're fighting like beasts in the wilderness and there's no one else around, <laughs> what time would you actually use your lightsaber, you know, and in order not to be spotted by, you know, officials to be hunted down and killed? It seems like all your abilities hinge on uh, when to use them and when not to. Um, so anyway, I was just thinking, uh, if you guys know a way around this to where a Jedi character can still feel like he's being his character without, you know, not being too limited in when and he, how he can use his abilities, um, let me know. Um, I also did think of, uh, you know, he could just, you know, use mind trick on them to, you know, every single person that he fights with to forget that you ever saw me here or um or you the other way is you know you could kill everybody, you know, no witnesses, dead men tell no tale. Um but then that would kind of force the force you to be evil and you know anyway. Um what do I think? Uh thanks. Okay. Before we dig into this, Phil, it is worth noting that this entire conundrum is very is there because of uh, a limitation of a specific era and that yes. that is worth noting. And again, it is the suggested and core era of the books that of the, you know, the, the Imperial, you know, time frame. but there's nothing holding, uh, holding you to that era as a GM or as a play group. And you can go forward or backwards and really not have this problem to begin with, but you're talking to somebody who's running a legacy era game right now, <laughs> yeah. so I'm with you. I mean, this Ghost of Memory module um, that I've I, I've 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 just finished and I'm putting the final publication touches on right now um, is is a, a new a new Republic era. Okay. Yep. So I mean, it, it's there, but uh, <laughs> oh, bless you. I think I think uh, Lance's question made me sneeze. Yes. Um, and Phil, I want to get your thoughts on this, man, but like. I don't know. I'm, I'm to, to this. I mean, look, first of all, Lance, in answer, like, in my opinion, the answer to that primary question is when can a Jedi use their abilities? Basically, the answer is whenever the hell they want to, <laughs> uh, they just have to deal with or prevent the complications that are going to arise from doing so in this particular era. Exactly. Um, I, I don't, I don't like what he sees as a handicap. I don't see it as a handicap, a handicap for what? Um, you mean they can't use their abilities like the rest of the party? Sure they can. They just get tagged by the ISB. And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. No. Because this is Star Wars, man, in that time of the Empire. And Jedi characters are, one, in many ways, much more powerful than others uh, from an ability and weapons standpoint especially. Yeah. This is how you mitigate that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, one of the ways. Um, But... Beyond that, man, this is a good thing because for a GM, Phil, this is gold. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is absolute gold. When, when should you expect your Jedi PC to whip out his lightsaber? When the situation demands it of him. And you have this golden opportunity as a GM to present really difficult role-playing and character choices for your Jedi players. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you have an innocent teen being threatened by some imps who are about to execute her in a crowded square. The Jedi can open up a can of lightsaber, whoop ass, and save her, but at the risk of being alerting the Empire. That choice is what RP glory is about in this system. You you can't ask for better. And so it, it, it's, to me, it's, this is far from a handicap. This is the epitome of the juiciest narrative role-playing the system can provide. Yeah. I mean, you look at Star Wars Rebels and uh, Kanan Jarrus, the, the male character, the male mentor yeah. or lead. Although we um, know that's not his real name, but we don't know what his real name is yet. Uh, he he uses his lightsaber a lot, to be fair, but a lot of the times when he's in situations where no one knows who he is, <clears throat> he's using his blaster pistol. He uses his blaster pistol a hell of a lot. He doesn't do a heck of a lot of obvious force use. Um, and the times that he do see him pull out his saber multiple times, it's honestly against Imperials who he either needs it to survive or they know I'm a Jedi already. Yep. <clears throat> yep. So, but I mean, I, I guess also you want to make sure that you're handling these consequences correctly as, as a GM and as a player. Now, this is important because I, I, I think people don't realize the mechanical rules that are available to them already in the system to handle these kinds of actions. Um, yeah. I mean, and the first one, I don't care whether you're playing AOR or Force and Destiny, obligation, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this kind of, you know, whipping out your lightsaber public, what's it going to do? Does it mean the Empire is going to hunt you down and destroy you? No, it's going to add an obligation to your PC. Yeah. Which means there's a chance each session that it may come into play. Yeah. Okay? You're now a wanted man or woman. Maybe it comes into play this particular session. I mean, that shouldn't dominate the entire party or rear in the story unless you're doing it wrong. Uh, yeah, and the way Lance described it, it honestly sounded like that his GM was basically using this as carte blanche to have the Empire descend upon you the very next day. Um, yeah. GM of Lance, let's call you that title, um, give Lance a 5 or even a 10-point obligation and maybe have it increase depending on how big and how many witnesses Lance's character has. But when Lance's obligation related to his Jedi appearance and, and, and force use comes into play when you roll for obligation that's when you have an encounter but with the ISB that's when you have an encounter with an inquisitor if you happen to roll like double you know double numbers for instance precisely uh, use that use them use the systems that are there yeah that that is that is precisely what you've got to do and that that's kind of that's that's how you need to treat it. And the player should have the option of buying off that obligation too. If mm-hmm. if if they undergo actions to try and further hide their identity or cloud their identity, okay, yeah. um, then that lowers obligation potentially. Okay, um, red herrings, red herrings. And and every time he whips out that lightsaber in public, it adds some more points to the obligation. Okay, potentially. Okay, if there's witnesses left or things like that. And this comes to another option, too. As Lance intimated, there's other ways of mitigating this consequence, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he hit on it. Influence power with a control upgrade for, the, for true mind tricking is a, a rather brilliant way of dealing with it in certain circumstances. It's not always going to work if you, you know, whip out your lightsaber in a crowd of people. Um, but, you know, you, you never saw me. I was not here. I mean, that, that you know, that's, that's a brilliant way of mitigating it. Um, yeah. Phil... We recently did an episode about the Force-sensitive emergent. And they had a very specific talent that can that can 
do wonders for this situation. Mm-hmm. Indistinguishable. Uh-huh. Sounds like a pretty useless talent in and of itself, but if you're willing to extrapolate a little bit and have it function a little more narratively, perfect. Yeah. It's like, oh my god, you whipped out your lightsaber in front of a crowd of people, but nobody remembers what you look like. Right. <laughs> it's like, perfect. oh my god! It's like, there's a Jedi! Put out an APB on him! Call the ISB! Great! What does he look like? He was human? Male? About... You, you know, 5'10", 6'2". And had a lightsaber. And he had a lightsaber. <laughs> now, that's a scalpel. That is a scalpel for dealing with this situation. I would like to more refer to a hammer. Okay. And direct you towards the shadow specialization. Mm. Where you have shroud and now you see me. These are a lot more active in your use because Shroud costs you a destiny point to use, uh, but it makes you undetectable via force powers and makes your own force powers go unnoticed for the remainder of the encounter. Mm. 30 points into that line, and you get sleight of mind and well-rounded on your way to it, so win. Now You See Me is buried a lot deeper in there, but you might want this one for those times when Indistinguishable just isn't going to cover it. Once per section, you may na- you can make a Now You See Me action, make a hard deception check to make a number of NPCs equal to your cunning forget about your character. Mm-hmm. If you don't have deception already, you can pick it up through Well-Rounded. It's going to cost you some XP to get there. But if you're really looking for something to mechanically cover you more than simply mind tricks or indistinguishable, that's one way to look. It's, it's going to cost you a lot more XP to get there. Um, but, but look at those options, Lance. And these are options if you're freaking out about controlling it in the first place. Keep that in exactly. mind. As I, exactly. I, as I hope we've made clear from the get-go, you shouldn't have to freak out about it. And your GM shouldn't be beating you over the head with it. There are concrete ways to handle this through obligation. And this is gold. This is not a problem. This is a beautiful role-playing opportunity for your character. It and is. you should take it. So, good question. Very good question. Um, next one, we have a call-in question from Andrew. Okay. And this is a, uh, a two-parter. Oh, okay. Hello, this is Andrew Howell, otherwise known as the Andy Man. Uh, just first off, I wanted to say that I'm a long-time non-listener, first-time caller. Uh, love the way that you guys do the show. Love the format. You put the business up front, and then you do the chatting in the back. So many other podcasts give you their personal lives up front. I'm like, man, come on, get to the meat. Anyway. How does- Thanks, man. <laughs> questions or discussions that you guys might want to throw onto the podcast. I know some of these might actually be more appropriate when Force and Destiny really makes its debut. Uh, but anyway, uh, the first thing was, I wanted to talk about, it really seems like there's missing the lure of the dark side. Okay, so far they've given us a, a D12 with some black pips, more than white, and, you know, that's okay. But I remember back in Saga and even West End games, the lure was there. They're like, hey, you, you want to do this really cool thing? Well, uh, here, take a dark side point. Or in Saga, they'd say, ooh, hey, would you like to do some more damage? Well, take a dark side point. Ooh, you just killed him faster, didn't you? Oh, boy. Ooh, but you better not fall. And then, of course, once you fell to dark side, they took all those benefits back, and oh, you got suckered. But it just kind of seems like in the <clears throat> the fantasy flight game that there's no lure. You know, it's just kind of like, you want to be a dark side? Uh, no, I guess not. Well, okay, then I guess you're not going to fall. Yeah, I guess not. So anyway, I was just curious what you guys had any kind of thoughts or anything like that. 
And the, the second big thing was, do you know if they're ever going to release any, like, uh, I don't know, any of the, the big-time guys from the saga? I mean, we've already seen stats for Lando Calrissian, and that's cool. But I always like to use the big-time characters as a benchmark, you know, kind of like, well, you know, here's the Emperor. He can do this and this. And then you look at your Force abilities and go, ooh, okay, well, that gives me a good range. And I know they give Force ratings, and they say, ooh, well, you can get a rating of up to seven in your Luminary. But eh, where's Yoda? Okay, we, uh, they released uh, the Jedi Lady, I think her name was Elsa, in uh, <clears throat> the, Yavin, the Yavin book. And, okay, she's a Force rating three, but... You know, Obi-Wan, man, he was already almost at the height of his power right before Order 66 happened. So as far as force ratings, what do you guys think? You know, Obi-Wan, he may be a five or six, Yoda, seven, Emperor, you know, a seven or eight. I don't know. Just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Mm. Mm. You know, my wife also likes our format. She loves the meet up front and the chatting after. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's really grown on me. Um, yeah, it's good format. It's it's, it's good. So, Andrew's question. Yeah, man, we we got two of them here. Uh, we do, we do. Let's let's talk about the first. What was it? The the lure of the dark side, man. I mean, I got thoughts on this, but what are yours? Um, I actually think it's a lot easier to to lure people to the dark side in this game. No, I know. Um, conflict, the conflict system that we were given in Force and Destiny really promotes folks to look at those dark side pips they roll when they activate Force powers and go, you know, I could use that and I could, I can handle two conflict. It's two conflict. I'll likely roll like a six or seven or something. And I'll be, and I'll be fine. And I'll be fine. And then you roll a one. <laughs> I, I, I like. I am so surprised to hear that he feels there's no lure to the dark side. I mean, like, look, I could see that with maybe Edge of the Empire, okay, or Age of Rebellion core on its own. Oh, absolutely. But it's like you say with the morality rules and conflict from Force and Destiny in place. I, I mean, Andrew, I'm curious to know if you've played a solid campaign or even a mini campaign with those rules because they they, they change everything. I <clears throat> I find more of a lure of the dark side in this system, Phil, than. Any other I've played. Yes. I mean, in Saga, I had to con- you had to con- you had to consciously choose for your character to fall to the dark side. It was so freaking easy to game that system and just keep hovering at your threshold. Yeah. You know, it's like oh 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 god oh, oh wisdom scores thirteen. I've got eleven or twelve dark side points. Oh nope, not gonna activate that power. Oh, not gonna do that. Ooh, it's- I've got another two uses of force lightning before I have to worry about it. I know. It was like uh. <laughs> so. <clears throat> Not so with the morality mechanic. You you do bad things, yeah, and it still comes down to a roll of the dice. It, it does. It's nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I've run with force using players, especially those trying to generate multiple light pips to pull off a power with a lot of upgrades. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Phil, but they frequently don't roll what they need to. For oh, me. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's so rare, and <clears throat> but they almost always roll enough if they use the dark pips and it's it's such this tough choice like you said the dice are staring you at the face it's like it's like do i do this it's like the dark side just staring me in the face asking me to use it pull off this cool ability but i get conflict but i can handle two conflict i can handle i've I've literally watched pcs like oh it's just one conflict it's just one conflict yeah I really need to activate this force leap i really need to leap from this horse to that speeder that we're chasing And I rolled the dark side pip. Yeah. Oh, well. 
I, mean, I can handle a conflict. Leap. I I I am uh, I, I am like. Yeah, it, 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 it's so much more luring to me, and, and it always, it, for my players at least, it always presents so much more of a lure. Um, yeah. Now, another it's beautiful not- thing about that morality and conflict system is it doesn't depend on the force. You could never use dark side pips. Right. And still do bad things. Yep. And if those things are bad, you're going to fall fast. Yeah. You're going to earn yeah. that conflict. So it's not just the temptation of calling upon the dark side for the force. It's the conflict of keeping yourself morally centered. Exactly. And if you're playing a morally centered character, then you're right. You're never going to fall to the dark side. If you play a character who decides, I'm never going to use a dark side pip, then you're never going to fall. You know, if there's one thing I would change, and I actually hope they do change this, I would take away the destiny and strain cost to use the dark side pips. Really? I would take that away because on one hand, I can use these force pips to activate my power, but on the other hand, I've, I've just burnt my destiny point. In some cases, you might want to use that destiny point to, to – like if, you're, if you have force leap to a point where it's only maneuver and you have something that you want to do and you really need to spend a destiny – you really want to spend a destiny point to do it later on um, to, to activate uh, an ability that you want to use after that leap – you don't have that option if you have to spend that destiny point to use the dark side pips to strain yourself like that. By taking, if you take away the destiny point, if you take away the strain point, I think PCs would be even a little more willing to get that extra conflict. Yeah, but that strain in destiny is a huge part of the balance. That can be, yeah. Uh, well, it's a huge part of the balance for Age of Rebellion <clears throat> and Edge of the Empire. If the, if the, the, in, Force and Destiny, if the balance is is that you're taking on conflict and the chances of you rolling less than the conflict you've earned and thus moving down the morality scale is there, is that enough? Or do you think it still needs that Destiny point and strain cost? I or do. maybe just one of those? I do. I think it needs the full, but that's me. I would say, I would say salt to taste. I mean, I mean and, go, yeah, go, and go with what's comfortable with your group. I, I guarantee you, I will... Although I've obviously through beta testing have, but going forward, I'll never run a, I'll never run a non mix just because I know my players. I'll never run a non mixed game PC party again. There will always be Edge of the Empire characters and Age of Rebellion characters and Force and Destiny characters in every Absolutely. game I run at this point. And Absolutely. So, and so at that point, when not all PCs have necessarily have access to the Force, um, it, I, I do find it to be essential because. That balance and that lure, especially for the destiny point thing, it's you're 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 not jacking yourself; you're jacking the party, and yeah. that's that's a huge consequence. I I don't want to get rid of, but that's just me. Ah, that's fair. That's fair. But but it, uh, your mileage may vary. Salt to taste. <laughs> Phil, yeah. Phil's suggestion is a good one. Um, you know, and it, it's it's all it's all it's all out there. So you consider it if you're a GM and you're having difficulty tempting your force users. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe try that and see if that that makes the the end result a little bit more to your liking. This is this is very true. This is very true. So okay, he had a, a second sort of follow up question on the end. You know, talking about more stats for canon NPCs, basically the Yodas, the yeah. Palpatines, the Lukes, the Leias. I mean, the Absolutely. only the only time we've seen canon NPCs published to this point is he, he mentioned uh, you know Lando obviously um is sure. w- when there are they're published in pre written modules okay mm-hmm. where there is a chance that the PC will interact concretely with that character I mean. And otherwise, I get the feeling from the flow of this game and conversations I've had with developers. Um, 
uh, just, I mean, out there, Andrew, is that I don't think you're going to be seeing it. I was shocked to see Lando. I was shocked. So was I. I was ridiculously shocked to see Lando because there is there is a and I think it was I think it was very much a kitsch value, right? True. But I, I, I see that as very much a one off. I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of it there as part of the narrative bent of this system and the idea that the PCs are heroes. Um, it, it I, I get the whole. It's nice to have a benchmark, for example's sake, but I kind of and I get the feeling the devs kind of don't want it. Mostly, yeah. mostly because I don't want those characters to be constrained by the rules. I want my PCs to face what they need to at the right power level to challenge them if they have to come up against those characters when they need to. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know I've said it. I know I've said it before on the show at some point in reference to something like this, but you know, it goes back to the old D and D stats for gods. As soon as you give something stats, it can be killed. Yeah, pretty much. Um, um and if that's oh, that's right. We were when, it's when we're back when we were talking about <clears throat> messing with canon. Yeah. Um, if you want your PCs to encounter Darth Vader and win, then yeah, you'll want stats. If I ever use Darth Vader in a game, he is basically going to be a terrain feature. <laughs> Uh, yeah. You will not beat Vader. <laughs> Vader will ruin you. <laughs> Vader will be a max level fear effect and you result and you dealing with escaping Vader. Adversary 3 at least. Adversary 3 soak 7 wound yeah, yeah. Cortosis armor. Cortosis which which is is not yeah. Yeah, and that's which not unreasonable. Not not just giving him to him. He He's it. got that. He's got that. He's got it. <laughs> he takes a lightsaber hit to the shoulder and screams. Yeah. Well, grunts in was, anger. I, I believe it was, ah! Yeah, that, yeah. And that. then he proceeded to club Luke like a baby seal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, 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 that's what I'm saying. Now, his thing is, he specifically wanted to know, like, for force rating power levels, where do people sit? What's benchmark? And I don't think we're ever going to see it concretely in the books. Well, I, we can certainly give you our opinions. Sure. Um, in my opinion, I think Yoda and Palpatine are at seven. That's uh, likely. I, I think I think that's very reasonable. I think, um, and I think that's you can probably count on one hand the number of the people in the galaxy that have that level of affinity with the Force. I also would say that Obi Wan was probably at a th- at a three or maybe even just a four. When, when you know, at five at most, when when he was in I would, Revenge of the Sith, I would say f- at most. I would say five at the most at the height of his power at the yeah. height of his power. Yeah, um, I would say episode one, he's probably running around with two force dice. Oh yeah, absolutely, and and three at, at during <clears throat> Attack of the Clones. Yeah, yeah, uh, three is very fair for what he was doing. That's very fair for what he was doing. Three, maybe four, but because um, at that point he was a master. Okay. Yeah, um, but uh, you know, but, but then then you start getting into the as the 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 sort of metagame discussion. What is a master? It, what kind of master? It, do? Exactly. I mean, it, it's it's you could have a Padawan with four force dice, but they're not a master. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, you could you could have a master with one force die. You know, they just it depends on how they focus. They, they're, I mean, if you're if you're entirely focused on lightsaber combat and you pour everything into enhance. <laughs> to be fair, mastery should be a combination of role playing action and something like a duty mechanic. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think I think duty applies ridiculously well to that scenario, and it, it's but it, it should it should be all RP at that point. It really should yeah. be. And you know, I just but 
hopefully that gives you some some concrete levels as to kind of where we're at. I mean, obviously, you know, we look at Luke in the original trilogy in 4, 5, and 6. I mean, obviously, he's at, in episode 4, he's definitely at one Force die, okay? He's Force-sensitive, okay? With no skills, yeah. And no, 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 nothing, nothing, nothing. I was, he gets his second in Empire. Yeah, in Empire, he I would say he gets, he, he's, he's probably at two, okay? After meeting up with Yoda. After meeting Beforehand, up with Yoda. Beforehand, you saw how much difficulty he had trying to pull his saber out of a snowbank. Yeah, I mean, it was, that, that, there, there was that. So, and I would say he gets to two, and, and through his training with Yoda, I mean, maybe, probably gets to two, maybe three, but more likely two. Two. Um, and then, by the time he's in Return of the Jedi, and he's able to actually successfully take on Vader. Um, I mean, he's probably looking to be about a four at that point. Um, maybe three or four. Yeah, uh, I'd say four at, at most. At most. Maybe he bought four. Maybe maybe the encounter on the Death Star allowed him to buy rating four. <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, very good. Good. Good point. Good point. But I mean, oh, I beat the Emperor and then saved my father. Woohoo! Twenty five XP. I'm gonna buy that talent. Yeah, pretty, <laughs> pretty much. So uh, that's kind of where we're sitting on that. But anyway, hope that's some good advice for you. Um, we go over our last calling question. You ready? Yes. Hey, this is Jake from. Um, wherever I happen to be from. Anyway, <laughs> I have a question for the uh, Star Wars Nation, and I'm wondering, uh, picture, if you will, a man, a gamer, who plays games, a man who has a family and responsibilities, and therefore can't always make game nights. And sometimes, when things go a little awry, he gets behind, and when he gets back, he finds that Everyone else in the party has reached a certain level of awesome, but he has not because he is well behind the curve on experience points and has been re- relegated effectively to uh, shuttle chauffeur because he's kind of lame compared to everyone else. Just want to get your input on what's the best way to do it, advancing everyone else, at the, everyone at the same time, advancing you only based on what games you've played. Uh, let me know. Thanks a lot, and uh, talk to you later. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, this is a tricky question. Um, I have a question for you, though, Phil. Mm-hmm. Is a player who is 20 to 30 XP behind the party really behind? Is he outclassed? Gods, no. Unless you've built your character way wrong. <clears throat> I mean, one of the things I think this system does really well is handle parties of mixed experience. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could have a 300-point character get his ass whooped by a starting character. Yeah, you, you really can. Um, we've talked about this before, but, I mean, you know, even even like a 100 or 200 earned XP character compared to a starting character, their strain wound thresholds are not going to be that different, if they're different mm. at all, okay? they're They're really not. There's so few ways to increase those. I mean, you're, you know, 100 XP. You might have a few more ranks and skills, new talent or two. And those ranks may may make it an issue, which we'll come to. Um, but the beginner character can really hold his own. And I guess my question, Dick, is have you tried? Is it you or the party who's relegating you to the shuttle chauffeur? Because... <sighs> You need to get in the fray. You are just as competent as they are, even if they're a few sessions ahead of you in XP. Um, I mean, on the whole, there's no reason for you to be outclassed in, in any major way. 
with perhaps two exceptions. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, and I feel I'm, your your thoughts on this, right? Can you? I mean, I, I have two in my head. I'm curious to know. I mean, what wh- where do you think some some areas are where they might get outclassed? Um, simply having the XP to get you to higher skill ranks. Skill ranks. I mean, yeah. if you're talking about folks who, because they've been able to buy up to dedication, because they've been able to sink some more points in skills, are rolling four and five and good gods, even sometimes six dice. That can be a huge, uh, uh, a huge balance, a huge challenge to you to feel any kind of usefulness at all. Yeah. If Dave's over there rolling uh, five dice and two of them are are green and the rest are yellow for his knowledge checks and you've got knowledge, and you've got knowledge lore at like you know your your base starting one yellow and two green you're not really going to feel like you're going to be any of contributing use to that to the party. But the one thing I do love about the system is that even though uh, he's rolling five dice, he can still roll all advantage. He can still roll all blanks. Yeah. Or 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 just load up on failures, and even though he rolled rolled two successes, those three failures still make that roll fail. And you, with your three dice and going up against the same difficulty, can completely turn it around. And to be fair here, because you're you're dead on, man. That was my first one. Is 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 at 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 a, at a huge disparity in XP, you will start to see some skill rank differentials, right? But if we're talking 20, 30, 40 XP behind the party, it's not, it, it is not going to be enough to make you ineffective. It is no. just not. You start getting into 50, 75, 100 XP or more behind the rest of the party, you're going to start to see that disparity in play. Okay, that, yep. that, that may affect you. Now, the other thing that you could have some serious disparity in play if you're behind is credits and gear. Mm, that's true because this game is a lot different than Saga, where you could get by with just you know all the gear in the same basic book. Yeah, it's the the fantasy flight game system does put a little more emphasis on getting your better gear or at least modding it out to your personal taste, depending on the type of character you're playing. Depending on and the I mean, type of character, because some PCs are very gear dependent, and having a fully attachment slash mod laden heavy blaster rifle. While you're stuck with a slug thrower pistol, which is all you could afford for your beginning character, yep, that, that will be an issue of effectiveness, at least in combat. Yeah. So, but those are the only two things where I see. I mean, a few sessions still should not make a huge difference here. So, yeah, I, I hear like thirty or forty XP behind. I'm like, that's significant, but that's not crippling. No, not in the least. And so I really say, Dick, I really have to say if it's your party that's making you relegate you to the shuttle chauffeur, you need to challenge that. You need to bust your hump and get out into the fray. And if you're relegating yourself to that position because you don't feel adequate, you need to break that mindset right now and get out there and just start rolling the dice. All right. Give it a shot, man. Got, got, you got to give it a shot. You, you have to. Now, if there is a massive disparity, okay, that we're seeing credits and gear discrepancy we're seeing skill rank discrepancy huge skill rank discrepancies what can you do how, how can you deal with this uh, well the first one is something that i've typically done in past games and i, I do to a some somewhat more of a degree now that i'm playing uh the the core fantasy flight game stuff um in absentia xp yeah yeah i'm not gonna lie i've done it yes me too 
Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with it as long as you can justify it. I mean, were yeah. were you off doing a solo mission while you're, you know, was your character off doing a solo mission while you were away? You know, yeah. perhaps maybe worked out via email with you and the GM. And did that mission impact the overall story for the rest of the party upon your return? Hint, you were. And yes, it did and needs to. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> and you can, you know, earn some in absentia XP or maybe even partial in absentia XP. Um, 10 or 15 points here and there, man. It makes a difference. Yeah, yeah there you go. Um, the other alternative is to suck it up. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is far from the fan favorite. You simply take what you get and you throw yourself headlong into the fray. Don't let yourself be relegated and be confident in your abilities. Phil is correct. I mean, gear aside... A beginner character can whip the living crap out of a two or even three hundred earned XP character. Yep. I mean, it, it, as long as there's a slight variation variation in the dice that go their way, there's not that big of a difference. I mean, that other character might have a few more points of wound threshold, maybe a point more soak than you, but that's it, man. It's not. Yeah. It, it's not like it was in other systems, and a lot of us have trained ourselves to feel that way. And the system, in my experience, doesn't play that way. It's really refreshing. So, about the only thing I could possibly think is that what's causing such a uh, culture shock as far as what he's trying to roll and and what how he's feeling about his character is maybe if the GM is exclusively setting difficulties based on the other characters at four dice, five dice, three skill ranks, four skill ranks. You know, if the GM is saying, "Oh, you're going to be doing this," well, it's daunting. But I'm rolling two dice. Well, sorry. He over there could make that roll. Now, in that, so in that instance, there's something to be said for setting the difficulties for your group as a whole. We've talked about it before. Yep. But there are some difficulties that are pretty standard and they're pretty set, mm-hmm. and they don't get to be modified that much. No. I mean, you, you might see some modification. I mean, like, listen, the 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 mini boss you were going against as a beginner character uh, may have had zero ranks in adversary, but now that the whole the majority of the group is at 100 earned XP, that mini boss is going to have adversary two. That makes a real difference for a beginning character's difficulty, right? Yeah. Um, if it really becomes an issue with you, you may want to have a talk with your GM about it. And, you know, it's entirely acceptable for the GM to provide you specifically with some potentially lower skill check difficulties in certain circumstances. Totally. Um, you know, within Talk reason. to your GM. Talk to your GM. Let yeah. him know. Make sure he knows how you feel. And if he's a good GM, he'll work with you. Yeah. I mean, whether whether find a solution, find a solution, whether it's suck it up and I'll manage difficulties and I'll make sure you're useful or or let's let's talk about some in absentia XP. I mean, a good GM will find a way to work with you on them, but you don't let yourself be relegated and realize that the system is a lot more flexible than that. So roll with it. So there we go. Yep. Well... I think that brings a close to uh, another fine show. I think it does. I think it certainly does. Um, you got time for a little bit of post show? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, so, guys, um, oh, gosh, next week is Gamer Nation Con. Uh, it's going <laughs> to be crazy. Um, we'll talk about it more in post, but be sure to keep your eyes on the D20 Radio uh, uh, Facebook page. Um, because we'll be linking out to the Gamer Nation Con page uh, where you can watch. We're going we're gonna to be streaming a lot of stuff, panels, um, a lot of competition play as well, and, and stuff like that. There's some amazing Star Wars events that are going to be going on. Um, so be sure to keep your eyes peeled for that. 
Head to the forums. Let us know what you want us to talk about. We've got a lot of suggestions in the pipe right now. Obviously, um, our next planned episode is going to be a in-depth review of the Commodore that we kind of teased earlier. Yep. Uh, um, following that, we got a couple books we need to review as well. <laughs> yeah, we do. Plus, we got that fear episode we don't want to talk about. That's another thing, too, is we are going to be devoting an episode to the fear mechanic. Um, so all that is on the docket. But head to the forums at d20radio.com slash forums. Register, post your mind, and uh, let us know what's up. Also, while you're at it, give us a call at 262-D20-RADIO. That's 262-320-7234. Um, and leave us a liner like those five people did at the start of this show. Uh, God bless you. God bless you all. And tell us why you never listened to the Order 66 podcast, because we would love to hear it. Well, with that, Gamer Nation, thank you all for tuning in. This is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. And this is GM Phil. Live long and prosper. Hmm. This podcast and related website are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, the Walt Disney Corporation, 20th Century Fox, or Fantasy Flight Games. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names, pictures, or references to any Star Wars vehicles, characters, or other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited, Fantasy Flight Games, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio, visual, or textual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast and the Gamer Nation LLC. So you excited for Gamer Nation Con, man? Stupidly! <laughs> My God! I, I got to hang with uh, Brett and Kimber, two of my buddies who will be coming down to Gamer Nation Con. And, you, know, you met them the, when you came up to Boston. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Andrew, and we're all, my brother Andrew, we're all psyched to come down and, and, and be down there. And, and I'm wicked looking forward, and look, looking forward to it. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm so excited. I uh, there's, there's still a lot to get done. Um, uh, there's always that last minute scramble of random things we're picking, we're, we're getting done. And furthermore, there uh, the weather forecast is looking like we're going to have um, some snow potentially and some ice Wednesday night. Um, yeah. and early into Thursday morning. Uh, the mm-hmm. date, which is Thursday, Thursday being the day before the con starts, the sure. con is still going forward, um, regardless Good. of any inclement weather that we get. Um, it's it's Good. it's going to happen. It's it's oh, it's all bought and paid for. So hey, um, and and we're going to have a fantastic time. The uh, the boys from Canada, uh, 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 Zertz and his crew, they um, will not be deterred. Uh, well, man, the, those guys. I mean, if they're doing what they did last year, they drove down from Manitoba. They're and probably loading up right now. They're probably loading up right now. And uh, so Saturday night at the con, um, right around eh, 8 or 9 o'clock, we're going to have Gamer Nation After Dark, um, nice. where one of the rooms will be completely blocked off, and you will need to be 21 years of age to enter, because there will be a keg. Uh, <laughs> well, me and my people, we got that covered. Um, uh, of local Texas brew, too, man. Shiner Bach. 
um, nice. which is uh, getting national now. It's a very fine, 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 fine beer. Um, and playing cool. playing a lot of games that we don't want little ears to hear as well. So uh, uh, really, really looking forward to that. Um, a lot of people, some people have been asking in the chat, and it, it, I guess it's not abundantly clear on the website. Um, for those of you who have who have never been to the con before, and you you've obviously either through Kickstarter or post Kickstarter ordered your badge, we do not send them to you in the mail. Um, it's all will call, and for a, you know a hundred. 50 people convention that's entirely reasonable yeah um so you arrive at the venue and bring an id <laughs> and uh, if we don't know you already and that's how you will pick up your badges okay yep um there's no tickets you need to pick up for your registered events um for first offer if you've registered already at gamernationcon.com for various events uh when you pick up your badge you'll be given a a, a sheet that has all your event times on it um, additionally, every GM of every event is provided with a sheet of expected attendees, and that's kind of how we track. Um, but I, I do want to encourage you, especially Phil, since you've never been before. Mm. So you can register events ahead of time. People can 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 register for them. That cutoff is Tuesday, by the way. Okay. Um, but you don't have to. Um, one of the reasons that we chose the venue we have, because it's a very small venue, but there's a very strong reason we've chosen it. Um, the Dallas Games Marathon has a selection of 1,200 board game titles. That That's a couple titles. That come with the facility, okay? And so, whether it's board gaming or role-playing, if, if last year was any indication, a full two-thirds of the events that are run at Gamer Nation Con are pugs. They're pickups. Um, and we, we, we intend that and we plan for that. Uh, we have signs for tables and tent cards that GM can grab to say players wanted RPG event. And somebody can just wander to your table and say, you know, hey, what is this? What's up? Plus, with this size of people, it's a really family style thing. So you can usually shout your head and be like, yo, I'm running Edge of the Empire. Who wants in? Okay. And, and you'll get it. But the cool thing for us is we also provide quick sheets to register a game on the fly. We want these pickup games to be registered because every quote-unquote registered event um, will award both the GM running it and the players playing it 10 XP per hour that they play. And, of course, Sunday afternoon of the con, we have the convention auction, mm-hmm. um, which the only currency you are allowed to use is your XP. Right. So it's one of those things we want pickups to happen. We want as many people to be playing as much as they possibly can. So um, just super, super excited. Have you been watching Facebook? You've seen some of the stuff we got for the auction? Hell yes. Hell yes. I love those those uh, painted minis. Oh, man. Daryl Roberts, man. He is, uh, I guess, one of those master painters over at Reaper, man. And he's going to be at the con. And, uh, yeah, five custom Star Wars minis that he you know, took stock minis and customized himself to turn them into Star Wars characters. I love and, it. And painted them. Um, they look gorgeous. Uh, did you see the uh, the box of swag we got from Chris West? <laughs> yes, I did. Oh, 23 things. So, like, <laughs> uh, just, just maps galore. And we have a ton of games. Uh, okay, so... So I've never been there, so I'm trying to visualize what the what the kind of setup is. How, how what it what's can you describe uh, Dallas Games Marathon? Uh, yeah, it's kind of a weird locale. First of all, it's in a strip mall. Okay, okay. So it, it's it's unassuming. There's no big neon sign out front. Um, right. it, it it looks like a strip mall location, and you you walk inside the door, and there are basically two great rooms, two main rooms, um, and 
all these rooms, plus a series of a couple hallways that stretch through the place, are wall-to-wall lined with racks of board games. Good God. And, um, of course, as you can imagine, dozens of tables and, you know, uh, uh, tons of chairs and restroom facilities and a kitchen and, and uh, you know, stuff like that. Um, so is this open to the public? Uh, well, for a fee, yes. Um, uh, I believe uh, I believe for uh, yearly membership is something like a hundred bucks, and that gets you in. Um, they basically uh, any, anytime they're open, and they're open I think two or three nights a week. Okay. Um, and so you can just walk in, grab your badge, and play whatever you want with whomever you want. Um, if you want to do like a one-time gig, uh, I think it's like seven bucks or ten bucks for the night. And okay. you show up and you pay that and here you go. Have fun. And yeah. <laughs> it's how, how big are these rooms? Um, I'll put it this way. The, the, both rooms, the whole DGM facility has a fire code restriction of 180 people. Okay. So, hmm. so I mean, yeah. Uh, so you, basically you're renting out the place for the weekend. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. That's precisely what we're doing. Um, how are we hand, how are we handling like um, uh, event panels and stuff like that? Because I know we've got a couple of those planned. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, no panel will conflict with another panel, and we have one space designated for panels. There, there's so the way it works is the two great rooms, so to speak. Yeah. Um, one of them is entirely devoted to being the gaming room, and there sure. are about twenty twenty five tables in there. I mean, long tables that can run run twenty to twenty five events simultaneously. All right. Um, there's some additional space in the back. The other great room. Uh, we'll be set up with a slew of chairs, um, and then it'll be a, a front section where we'll have panels occurring. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. That that other that that panel room is also where we'll have vendors, um, as well as the main reception for the cons. So kind of where administration's working, where you pick up your badge and your swag bag and and stuff like that. Um, but you know, there's also extra tables in that room, so when there's not a panel going on, we can run games there. Um, you know, what, what we, what we find is that mo- most of the gaming occurs well at night. You know what I mean? Yeah. So oftentimes those rooms would be, but would be both fully occupied. Hmm. Um, uh, for the auction, it's all going to be in the panel room basically. And yeah, you, know, makes this, sense. you know, and, and, uh, if last year was any indication, it gets crowded. Every seat's taken. People are standing around, you know, well, yeah, it's, it's the end event. It's the end event. And, and, you know, people, uh, lots of XP trading and, and consolidating, and uh, um, I'm almost positive. I believe Dave's got it confirmed. Uh, some of the big, big things that went last year yeah. um, were a private game with Jay Little after the con. Sure. Um, uh, our special guests are flying out Sunday afternoon, so unfortunately we won't be able to do that this time around. Uh, too bad. It's, un- it's unfortunate. Uh, but some of the high-dollar things that I expect to see going this year are um, last year – I think the one thing that got the most XP thrown at it was a a wooden handcrafted wooden box filled with dozens of handcrafted wooden dice from Artisan Dice. Oh, you know the the hardwoods. Oh yeah, I know. And, I know. And uh, Charlie Brumfield and Artisan Dice will be one of our vendors again this year, so they will be selling. But that means if if Charlie, being the kind of guy he is, will most likely donate another swath of dice for the for the auction. Um. The other the other high dollar things that I uh, that we went for last year was are so okay are you familiar with the with the gamer cred? No, no, I'm not. Okay, so the con itself is a game, and there are both publicly known and privately known badges 
pins that you earn um, for doing certain things. Okay. Okay. And when you get your swag bag, there will be a sheet in it that has all the publicly known gamer creds um, uh, that are currently active. Um, there will be a lot of repeats from the ones last year. The kicker is you can never earn the same gamer cred pin twice. Okay. Interesting. Each gamer cred pin is worth a number of, of a number of gamer cred, anywhere from like five, ten, fifteen, twenty, and the amount of gamer cred you accrue con to con qualifies you for special events. Um, this year, for example, we're running a couple panels. Um, one of the ones I'm really hyped about um, with, is a panel called Yes And with uh, Sam Stewart, where he is going to, along with probably you and me, <laughs> uh, be up there uh, adjudicating um, uh, game questions. Or people come to him with completely ridiculous role-playing scenarios that have been taken off the rails, and as quality GMs, we'll take the encounter through and show how you get it back on the rails. Is this the GM University? thing we were talking about or is that something else that's pretty much it okay cool yes i'm in um i'm into that (laughs) um well the idea is um we as we imagine there's gonna be a lot of attendance for that and a lot of people are going to want to throw scenarios at us um well first come first serve is going to be those people with 100 plus gamer cred so Mm -hmm. i mean little things like that and as the convention goes on year after year after year and we get people with really high amounts of gamer cred we'll have special vip dinners um and other special things like that for um for those with with uh, a high enough gamer cred, so um, and also finding out the secret gamer creds is a lot of the fun of the con too. <laughs> oh, sweet, um, you know, because you'll see somebody um, you'll see somebody walking around with a with a with a with a pin that says Order sixty six on it, and you're like, whoa, how'd you get that? I don't know. I how got did it. I get it. How did I get it? And I mean, you know, stuff like that. Um, there's there's some really interesting ones. But we have uh, last year we offered at the auction the one pin, which was two hundred gamer cred. Okay. <laughs> um, this year, this year we're offering the um, uh, the Sonic screw pin. Oh. Uh, which will be the two hundred gamer cred for this year. We expect that to go high. Um, we offer. Um, I know Rikoshi actually uh, combined with some others pulled XP to win. Um, in the auction last year, uh, four free tickets for next year. Um, another another thing that uh, we'll we'll have in the auction. Uh, nice, yeah. Uh, other other high high items I see going is we have thanks to the wonderful, incredible Mr. Rodney Thompson, we have signed copies uh, by him of Lords of Waterdeep with expansions, two of them. Ooh. Um, that I know are going to go up, but we've had a lot of publishers give us a lot of games. Um, I know Mr. Stewart said he was going to be kind enough to bring something down as well from FFG. So nice. uh, we'll see what we're able to get on that front, but uh, there's going to be quite a bit in this auction. Oh, so, sweet. So the point is you come, you play games and leave with some swag. And yeah. Now I got to ask, especially after we're done with post show and we're off the air, is it too late to add secret ones? Because I had an idea. Um, as you can imagine, we are uh, five days from the convention. Uh, buttons are made. <laughs> That's what I was afraid of. Um, we can. Oh well. We can. Well, uh, we can talk about it. Very good. Um, we we can talk about it. Um, we have added a grand total of ten new gamer cred buttons. Nice. Uh, from from last year and and the majority of the ones from last year will still be available as well but again you can only earn a button once so uh you know unless unless it has a year on it um you know like like when when you get your swag bag there will be a button in it you know it's it's three dogs for three dogs yeah. yeah for for just attending right sure um you know so, so aside from that 
you know, it's it's going to be this ever growing accumulation of things. And there were so many gamer cred buttons last year that nobody got. Nobody got mm. this. The circumstances never came up, or they never happened, or yeah. So I'm mm. I'm ridiculously excited. And the whole the whole auction and XP concept we shamelessly borrowed from ReaperCon, who's been doing it for years and years and years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but this gamer cred thing. Wow. Yeah, it's the game with the game within the con, huh? I I dig it. I totally dig it. Yeah. I'm so excited to come. <laughs> oh god. But this is a very different convention, man. It, it's not it, with with the size of the space and the number of people, it's really just like a family gathering to play games. I mean I know, I know. I mean, you know, we have a fire code limit of 180. There's 30 volunteers and staff. So, I mean, when you get down to it, uh it's going to be 150 attendees. I mean, that, that's yep. not huge. So it becomes this extreme family environment, and it's very different from your typical convention. Oh, yeah. I mean, going from ReaperCon a couple years ago to Gen Con, and then this is going to be even a, a smaller and more intimate than Reaper. Yeah. And Reaper felt pretty tight. It is. It is a pretty tight con, and this is going to be even more intimate than that. But this is probably going to be the last year that we can do it at this venue. Uh, yeah, from what I've from what I've heard, you guys talking. Yeah, I and and it's one of those things. If we can, if we can, depending on how profitable we are on this con, how much money we can carry over, and what we can make next year, um, we'll kickstart it again. Um, you know, it, it's but I, I, moving to a hotel, you know, like 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 a hotel to a con. I mean, it, it is ridiculously expensive. I mean, yeah, just renting the venue alone for three days literally is six times the cost uh, so it, it's 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 rough but we can accommodate a lot more people that way how many people you know based on your numbers how many people do you think you could accommodate at that point 300 six times the cost for double the amount yeah but it's all or nothing at that point we're at a hard cap right now we're fortunate enough to find this odd little facility you know what i mean yeah, that's true. Um, there's other options, too. I mean, we could find a facility for a lot less um, than that that would hold a lot more people, but it wouldn't be attached to a hotel. It would still be driving to a hotel. Mm. Um, true. There's, there's, there's other avenues. but uh, um, Oh, Geiger Streak wants to know. My wife wants to go uh, but wants to cosplay. This is a cosplay kind of convention. Um, the Come and cosplay. And I will tell you right now, there's a gamer cred badge just for doing that. Um, you know, and have fun with it. Uh, the 501st will be in in force um, Saturday afternoon, so we have a lot of that kind of cosplay going on. Yes, we will. But there's not enough attendance to have a true cosplay competition. Um, however, it is worth noting that one of our guests of honor that's going to be there this uh, 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 Saturday is actually going to be Chloe Dykstra. Um, yep. So if your wife is a cosplayer um, and she watches Heroes of Cosplay on Sci-Fi, she knows who Chloe Dykstra is. Right. Um, so it may be maybe really enjoyable for her just to come uh, and mm-hmm. and be there. And and Chloe will be with Sam Witwer on uh, on a, one of our panels at one o'clock. And I have to assume that this would be the same thing for the year after, and the year after that, and the year after that, etc. Um. Uh... Well, I mean, like folks coming, like you know, not necessarily a cosplay competition or anything like that. I mean, like you know, you show like you show up in like a Jedi outfit, or you show up as like some armored knight. That's cool. It's it's wicked. People like to cosplay the con because you get your picture taken. Yeah. Um, Bradshaw is working on a picture backdrop. He sent me. He's been working on it all weekend. He sent me pic. He sent me pictures, uh, updates of it. Yeah. Oh my god. 
good? Uh, yeah, it's like Ooh. this. It's it's a three panel Death Star wall. Oh, nice! Like you know, with like the sort of oblong sort of circle shapes that are glowing white light. Oh yeah! You oh, know? I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, dude, it looks intense. Sweet. I mean, yeah. So there's there's that there's that kind of there's that kind of fun. So I love static backdrops like that because you know yeah. it's not necessarily something that you need to have a crew to to man, but it's a, just a, a nice thematic backdrop. Mm-hmm. You know, we up here are, are the five hundred first legion in my neck of the woods. We built a trash compactor. Yeah, I a full blown trash compactor with a giant pipe in there and all kinds of debris and even a little Dianoga eye to stick up out of the side and a tentacle to wrap around you. People love it. Like, get in the trash compactor. Get a photo with the walls closing in. Oh, God. <laughs> I love static props like that. That's just awesome. Yeah. It's uh, it's good stuff. I can't wait to see it when it's finished. Um, so, uh, yeah, man. It's it's just um, it's crazy and hectic. Um, when are you getting into town? I'm getting – we're getting into town Thursday night. We are landing at the height of rush hour, so we're going to get dinner immediately upon landing. Let the rush hour clear out a little bit at Bradshaw's recommendation. And then we're going to head straight to the venue. Good. Because Thursday night before, obviously, we'll have a mini venue party and you can help us stuff bags and Yeah, stuff happy like to. That. So uh, – we, we will we'll be there. We'll be happy to. There might be a gamer cred badge for doing that. I'm just saying. I would be shocked if there wasn't. <laughs> there might be. There just might be. And there also might be gaming until dawn, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> As folks are just like, well, yeah. <laughs> oh, it'll be fun. 6 p.m. is a bit early, uh, bub. Uh, he's going to be at 6. We're probably not going to be here until close to 7. So... Go get dinner first, then show up. Go get dinner first, then show up. Um, <laughs> Otherwise, you'll be hanging out in the cold. <laughs> so, oh, Hov, man, you want to come? We would love your assistance. Plus, we could play with you, you know, play games with you. So, <laughs> anyway. Oh, this will be fun. This will be really fun. I'm looking forward to it. I, oh, man, if last year was any indication, it's going to be a lot of fun. I always, I always stress out over stuff like this, and it always ends up just falling into place perfectly. So, <laughs> oh, all right. Well, uh, it's going to be exciting. Um, guys, keep your eyes on the social medias because we'll be uh, uh, broadcasting info about it. And I'm sure you'll hear an awful lot about it in two weeks time when we return. Uh, so anything else, Phil? No, I think that's pretty cool. Pretty good. All right. Well, good night, Gamer Nation. May the dice be with you. <laughs>